When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Already somebody here. Right on. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Educated Economist. So I figured I'll start the uh, video by opening with the mail, and we'll wait for some people to uh, to come into the live stream. This is from our buddy UFO Engines, so I'm excited. I always like to see what UFO Engines has to send. All right. John C. Maxwell's The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Very cool. Oh, right on. And it's a... Uh, it's an audio, too, which is awesome, because for those of you who don't know, I have... <laughs> A reading disability. I really shouldn't say it that way. I mean, I can read. I shouldn't call it out, but that's what it is. I just, I have a trouble reading and anything longer than, say, 10 minutes. And I just, my mind just goes off another direction. So, says, uh, what does this say? Thought you'd find this a hoot. Right on. Laws of leadership. Thank you very much, UFO engines. I very much appreciate that. So, wow, 119 of you guys already. That's cool. Uh, left a few links down in the description for you guys. Um, I had somebody ask me a while back, like, to explain the repo market. And it gets really difficult to try and try and understand what happened and why the Federal Reserve has this repo facility. It used to be just like a pressure relief, this repo facility, but now it's a standing repo facility. It's like a common everyday tool for the Federal Reserve to use this this repo facility. Now, <clears throat> I guess it kind of helps to understand like what's going on right now, because I think the Federal Reserve has figured out a way that they can unwind their balance sheet without causing the interest rates on the treasuries to just go through the roof and then the government wouldn't be able to afford their payments anymore. And um, I think it kind of helps to understand how it is that the Federal Reserve established interest rates prior to the pandemic to the way they do it now. And I tried doing this video a couple of times, so we're gonna try and do it live here on on camera and hopefully it uh, I can do it right. So if you can kind of understand how the Federal Reserve establishes the effective funds rate, because the Fed funds rate is not really anything other than a target. It's just a number on the wall that they say, hey, this is what we're shooting for. The effective funds rate is the actual interest rate that these big banks used to lend to each other on an overnight basis. So this is the way that they used to do it prior to the pandemic. And now they operated in what they call the limited reserve basis or limited reserve system. And that at the end of the day, some banks would have reserves and some of them would be in need of reserves. The ones who had reserves would lend them to the ones who were in need of reserves. And that overnight lending rate was the effective fund rate. Now, something happened back in September of 2019 where there was a huge tax payment that had been made. 
And at the same time, there was a lot of government spending that was happening. So there was a lot of treasury issuance that was happening. And there was this tax payment that took place. Now, what that ended up doing is it left a lot of treasuries on the bank's balance sheet, not a lot of cash. And when this tax payment was made, it took that cash out of the banking system. It moved it over to the Treasury General account, which is actually an account at the Federal Reserve. But it took it out of the banking system. That night, interest rates on the overnight lending rate shot up to like 10%. And the Federal Reserve was like, no way, this ain't going to happen. If this you know, goes on or if this was to exist and goes into the next day, I mean, you got to think like these banks who had an overnight lending rate of 10%, like every single loan that they're going to make after that is going to be over 10% and the whole system would have froze up. So what they did is they opened up the repo facility and they were taking treasuries off these big banks and handing them cash. And then they would just do this exchange every, every day. This was the non QE QE that, uh, that everybody was talking about. So that changed the way the Federal Reserve started operating business. Because after that, the repo facility, although was just a temporary use, by the time the quantitative easing came in from the Federal Reserve and the, during the pandemic, that standing or that temporary just, what was, what, how should I say it? Just a occasionally used repo facility became a standing repo facility because there was so much liquidity in the system they needed something to mop all that, that liquidity up, and that's where it came from. I mean, if you go and read some of these articles, you're going to find that there was a time where it was very difficult to find a place to put money, and then we're finding that again. And that's why these repo facilities are now, where this repo facility is now jumping up as high as it is. Okay, now let's think about this for just a second. Why is the repo facility in such demand? Because there is a lack of issuance coming from the treasury on the short-term assets. So you got to think like the short-term issuance of treasuries coming from the treasury, like the, the bills and notes. This is like the safest place you could ever park your money if you're going to ever park your money anywhere. Like it is the closest thing to cash there is. Even if it was to lose value or something not sell, you can just wait for maturity. And especially if it's a short-term, the chances of you losing out is very slim. So having these short-term treasuries is very critical for the investors to find a place to put that cash, at least for the short term. And since the treasury is not issuing out as much of this stuff, they have no place to go with it. And that's why you're finding, that's where you're seeing what's taking place right now. So that makes me question. If you go and you look at what's going on with the U.S. Treasury yields, they're falling. Why? Because there's a huge demand for them. Why? Because there's no place to put any money. Well, now, if you got the Federal Reserve who is saying, hey, you know, you guys are in high demand of treasuries, huh? Guess who has a bunch of them and wanting to get rid of a bunch of them? So here they have this huge demand that has been created for treasuries. The treasury themselves is like, hey, we got a bunch of tax revenue coming in. We don't need to issue out as much debt. They don't issue out those treasuries as much. People looking for a place to go with their cash can't find it. And the Federal Reserve steps up and says, hey, we got this balance sheet we're looking to unwind. Pretty good deal, right? So I don't know if that's what the case is or if that's what's going to happen. But it looks to me like that could be a controlled demolition to me. Now, how the interest rates continue to go up, if it were to go up for, say, mortgages and credit cards and all this other stuff, 
would have to be from that banking system down at that repo level. Like if the interest rates start to rise at the Fed funds level where they start to, you know, mess with the interest rates at the repo or the interest on excess reserves, which is like basically the channel that they use to create this interest rate. If they start messing with that, then yes, you would see the interest rates on everything else start to go up. But if they don't mess with it and they just say that they're going to do it, well, they can create a whole realm of things that happen out there in the market. In fact, go and look right now. I think it was Bostic who was saying, well, you know, we may need to pause the rake heights, you know, after these next two meetings that we have or something. They're already putting in the narrative that they may not need to raise the rates because they really can't raise the rates. They can tell people they will. It will have an impact as if they did. The markets will start to price in that 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 narrative that that forward guidance but it doesn't mean that they're actually going to have to they're actually going to do it and already it's being said that the federal reserve hits two percent on the fed funds level and in that banking system and that will be neutral and that anything more than that it'll start being restricted to the economy well if that's going to be restricted to the economy i mean just think about what's going on right now it's going to be terrible by then right so anyway um what else did I want to talk about? I don't know. I'll probably come up with it in a second. What are you guys talking about? Anybody have any questions here? 368 of you. Thank you so much for hitting the like button. You know, I never ask you guys in my regular videos to like the videos, but on the live streams, I really do appreciate it if you hit the like button. What it does is if YouTube will pick up the alg or pick up the video and start spreading it around with the algorithm, I'll get more people in here and we get more comments, more people, uh, you know, talking about things. So, okay, awesome, you are here, FOD Canada here, FOD, is that a place, F-A-U-D, U-E, your brain reads like a computer fast and connects the dots, well, yeah, um, you know, and it's it was kind of interesting because, you know, I do research a lot of this stuff, but I was never, like, shown or taught. So, like, all the stuff that I learned, like, I had to figure out. It was just like, okay, so what is, what is, what is? And so as I was learning all this stuff, I would pick up a lot of stuff along the way. And, uh, sorry, somebody was trying to call. I had to turn that off. So I pick up a lot of stuff along the way. And now, like, I, I hear certain things. And it's just like I relate them to things that I have read. And where a lot of people are trying to go from... The idea that they were taught, like, you need to follow this particular path in order to understand things. It's not, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't operate like that, you know. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you think the Fed will actually raise interest rates again? Yes, um, they will. That's why they put the narrative out there that they may pause. Like, they said they're going to do, what, two more um, half-point interest rate hikes? So we got another interest rate. We got one, at least one more percentage to go. After that, we don't know. The Fed has not made any statement on it. The one thing about their credible threats is that they have to they have to pull pull it off, or else they will no longer be credible. You can't call cry wolf, right? I mean, if you cry wolf and then you don't follow through with the wolf actually being there, then they won't believe you the next time you call it. So when the Federal Reserve says, you know, hey, inflation's hot, we may need to, we may need to, that's one thing. When they say we're going to, or there will be, that's another thing, right? 
So that's why they put out the narrative that they're going to be two rate, rate hikes, get the market to price that in, start slowing the inflation down, start getting things into a condition in which they want it to be. And then if the economy needs more interest rate hikes, then they can do it by then. But at this point, they just want the markets to price in that neutral level. Like, I think they want them to price in a 2% Fed funds level. And that's what they're trying to shoot for. Yeah. Um, you know, and then you got to think, that was the other thing. Uh, I, want, I left, and jeez, guys, my brain just bounces everywhere sometimes. Uh down in the links or down in the description, I left a link to a Reuters article. And if you read one of them, I think it was talking about the dollar exceptional, exceptional, you know, me in the English language, I just can't speak it. So anyway, there's a link down in there that you guys should go and check out. And one of the, uh, I think it was like a hedge fund manager or somebody um, mentioned in there something about like whether or not the federal reserve can fix the supply chain with the raising of interest rates and that's what i have said so many times now it's like here's the thing the federal reserve when they lift the interest rates the idea behind it is is that they're going to slow demand right they don't want as many people buying stuff right that's i guess like the idea behind it but that's not all it does it also keeps people from investing like if you are an entrepreneur this is where i really see the problem that that comes from this because what the fed is saying is it's like okay we want to lift interest rates and and stop the buyer okay that that consumer we're going to hold that consumer down you know push them down well at the same time there's people out there who are conducting business who want a consumer like they want the buyer there like we have stuff that we want to sell to a consumer and the Federal Reserve is saying, no, we don't want you selling to a consumer. Well, that's an entrepreneur, that guy who says, wait a minute, there's stuff over here and there's consumers over there. And now I know how to get that stuff to the consumer, but what you're telling me is that you don't want there to be a consumer. And then on top of it, I may not have the money. I want to invest in this. I want somebody else to invest in this idea of taking this stuff to the consumer, but yet you're going to raise interest rates, stipulating the consumer. How likely am I going to find an investor who wants to go in on my idea of getting stuff to a consumer that the Federal Reserve wants to hurt? Does does any of this make sense? I mean, I don't see it. Like, if they want help from the supply chain, I don't think they're going to get it by saying, "Hey, we're going to take out the consumer. Hurry up, supply chain. Why don't you why don't you help us out here?" I mean, it's counterintuitive, right? I mean, that's the way I see it anyway. Okay, let's see here. You are suggesting we are above the natural rate already. We aren't. Um, no, I said that I said that we could be. I don't know what the natural rate is. Now, if we go, I, I mean, I believe that we are very close to that already. Yes. From the things that we have heard from, like, John Williams back in that speech, the uh, monetary policy for a low neutral rate world that was given back in 2018, said back then that the global thought back then was that the average neutral rate should be somewhere around that 2 to 2.5%, but that he believed that it was somewhere between 0, what was it, 0 and 1.5%. So we very well could be encroaching on that neutral rate already. But a lot of people believe that it's over two, that it's like two and a half percent is where the neutral rate is. 
until we actually achieve neutral and i don't even know how you establish that until you're either there or you're past it we don't know really where neutral rate is but i do feel that we're getting close to it i mean just look at the economic activity that is already slowing down happening already i mean just just take a look at it all you know all right uh you see supply chain issues now that is the lag from COVID fallout well yeah i mean it's everything was running smooth until then you sever the supply chain and it's never been reestablished again i mean even if we just take lumber for example it has been over a year now that i have had or i've heard issues with the lumber distribution because of trucking. Now, a lot of it comes from like, you know, started up in Canada with a lot of flooding and knocking out the rails and highway issues and British Columbia being like a major importer of lumber into the United States. They're a high cost producer. So the things that happen up there are very sensitive to the lumber industry. And so when they got that, when those rails and the highways and everything else got knocked out and the trucking issues started to, to come up, it started in British Columbia, but then I started hearing like issues all across everywhere. Like all these mills all over the place started having this trucking issue where they could not get the material away from the mill fast enough. And a lot of mills were curtail curtailing development just because of that very reason. It wasn't just the ones up in British Columbia. So, I mean, will that change? Who knows? But there's an obvious lack of trucking that was out there. We are seeing the signs of it. I mean, from the Freight Waves articles that we were reading and reporting on, there is signs of it starting to free up. Now, that's only in certain areas for certain things, you know, like not everywhere is there trucking available now. But even I'm starting to get the phone calls from like the logistics company companies that I haven't had phone calls from those guys in a very long time. But it's these like private logistics companies who are looking to find like companies like because I work for a hardware store lumber yard looking for companies like us who they can haul material for and you know I mean I have to explain to them that we're just a local company with their own fleet of vehicles that we do our own deliveries with but those phone calls are starting to come in a lot more and I asked the other salesmen about it and they said yeah they've taken a few of them as well so obviously trucking is becoming more available is it to the way it was before? Nope, not even close, but we're getting there, you know, we're trying. <laughs> All right. Look into how America looked into Taiwan land invasion. It's a very difficult place to invade. They will play the long game. Interesting. Okay, China preparing for war. That's why the lockdowns. Okay. Boy, you guys are a little negative here today. Oops. <laughs> Okay. Um, Yui, what books would you recommend for financial education and freedom? I've been reading a lot of Robert Kiyosaki's books, and I would like to be as educated as you. Any suggestions? Well, I really appreciate that, man. Um, surprisingly, I really don't read a whole lot of books. I would like to, um, but like I said, I do have like this reading comprehension thing where if I read for longer than 10 minutes, then my mind starts to wander. So I do try and read books occasionally. Um, I've been trying to mess around as far as reading a few pages out of the wealth of nations, which is a very big, overwhelming book. Um, but it's a really good one. Uh, if I was to recommend one book that I have read, it's the only book that I've really read on economics. That's the creature from Jekyll Island. Um, G. Edward Griffin's 
Preacher from Jekyll Island was an excellent book. Um, really exposes the Federal Reserve and um, how they operate. So it gives you a really good insight into central banking and what's going on with that. Um, if there was another book out there that I would recommend, it would probably, um, it would probably, it's not really the book. It's, I mean, I guess it is a book if you probably find it out there, but it's probably Cantillon's essay, um, Cantillon's essay on economic theory. Uh, that's been very helpful for me. It's, it's really outdated considering that, you know, you're talking about villages and, you know, stuff that like distribution networks that are not even like compared to what they are today. But a lot of the principles that are within that theories do play out today. And so I guess if there was, if there was another reading, that would be it. It would be the, uh, Cantillon essay. So those are the two. Um, if I do happen to read some books out there, which I do plan on trying to do over time, um, I will let you guys know which ones I do read. Um, but yeah, as far as as far as reading goes, that's that's what I've done, and that's really the only thing I uh, can suggest as far as books go. Um, my typical readings, like I like to read a lot of the Federal Reserve speeches, um, and then if there's things within those speeches that I don't understand, I'll go and research it. Uh, a lot of times within the speeches, they will refer to past speeches or past references and stuff like that. So researching like through the Fed speeches is probably one of the best ways to really get an understanding of what the central bankers are up to. It's one of the reasons why I was just like so adamant about like, you know, this inflation thing being out of control. Like they said, the Fed lost control. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know how it is that they have lost control when they said that they were going to do this exact thing. Like they said that they were going to do this. And yet here people are like trying to think that they didn't say that or something or like they've lost it. But I don't know, um, you know, from the things that I read and the things that I've like picked up and try to understand they have a lot of economists that work for the federal reserve and if i can figure out or if i can think of scenarios i would assume that those guys probably have already done it as well so as stupid as a lot of people want to say the federal reserve is i think that the federal reserve holds back on a lot of what it is that they could do and with that information that they release, it really guides the markets. Like, for example, this those special purpose vehicles. That one just, like, when that kicked out during the pandemic, I was just like, man, nobody saw those special purpose vehicles coming. Nobody did. I mean, somebody might have, but nobody was talking about it. At least nobody I was listening to. So, you know, the Federal Reserve has a lot of, a lot of tools and a lot of tricks that nobody knows about. And so when the next pan, like, the, I don't, it's not probably, most likely it's not going to be a pandemic, but the next like crisis that comes, which I'm assuming is going to be like a sovereign debt crisis, I feel the Federal Reserve and the central banks around the world, including the governments, have an idea of what it is that they're going to do. And I think a lot of it has to do with central bank digital currencies and UBI and MM, you know, the modern monetary theory kind of stuff. Did I get some super chats up here? There they are. Hey, thank you very much, John, uh, for the dollar ninety nine. Who is your favorite football team? Oh man, um, you know I don't really watch a whole lot of sports anymore. Um, I really loved watching sports with my dad. Um, 
and we were big into baseball. We were big Red Sox, Red Sox fans. Uh, he was from Fall River, Massachusetts. So naturally, um, I grew up being a hater of the Yankees. Sorry. Um, actually, I'm not sorry about that. Never mind. Um, and then uh, as far as football teams go, um, you know, I guess I'll probably go for the local team here. You know, you know, the Seattle Seahawks. Um, you know, everybody seems to uh, talk about them a lot. But again, I'm not really into sports. I don't really follow a whole lot of anything out there except for mon monetary theories and policies and economics. Like, I don't even follow politics anymore. I do not do not follow politics, you know, or TV shows or series or anything like that. Uh Economic Stalker, thank you very much for the $10. Keep up the good work. All right. The 4th Infantry. Infantry. I have a hard time saying infantry. All right. Tommy Carr, 55. Thank you very much for the $4.99 super sticker. Joe with the $5. Thank you so much. Bullwhip effect happening in labor as well. Companies overordered labor by posting too many open positions, same as ordering any other product. Yeah, um, I could really see that happening right now. Um, still, there's like I I talk to a lot of the small businesses in town and the small business owners, and they're still complaining about not being able to find a lot of work. And then like, you know, people coming in asking for these outrageous wages and stuff. But um, it seems that the huge overwhelming demand for labor i think that's starting to wane and you're starting to find that within a lot of these corporations out there putting for, uh, hiring freezes and you know no longer finding like the overwhelming like help wanted signs on every single business like it once was i mean you still see a lot of them but not not the overwhelming amount like it once was so i do agree with that like that labor shortage and the panic that people were seeing, like, oh, man, if we can't find enough labor, we're not going to even be able to have our business open, which is the case, actually. There's a few businesses that have cut their hours here because they can't find the staffing from it. And that I've heard that being the case, you know, throughout the nation. So, yeah, there is a panic for that part of it. Um, but that's going to change. Like, once people are, like... People during the pandemic with the stimulus and the moratoriums and stuff like that, they were not living in fear. Like they were in fear of like getting sick, but they weren't living in fear of the future of what the, of, you know, of having to deal with their finances and stuff like that. They like, like they didn't care or something. I don't know. But they weren't living in that fear. Well, now the time has come that, you know, we're going to about ready to go hungry. You know, you're going to, you're going to have a hard time finding food. And you're going to need a job and there's not going to be a lot of jobs out there. And even the jobs that you do get are probably not going to be paying enough to buy all the food that you're going to need because food's going to get real expensive. People weren't thinking of this. And so, yeah, I mean, there's going to be a change and you're going to find all these help wanted signs coming down. Uh, moving onward. Wow. So many of you guys up here. Okay. Ryan, thank you so much for the $10. Traveling the Oregon coast in August, what should we be sure to see or do? Um, wow, the Oregon coast is just a great trip anyway. So, I mean, if you make it up here to Clatsop County, then, I mean, I guess the beach is fun. Um, you know, out there at Fort Stevens, there's a lot to do and hike around and check out there. A lot of historical stuff to see. Um, so that's a lot of fun. There's... Um, 
some really great waterfalls uh, in the area, especially that are not too far to drive to or hike to. So I would definitely check out some of the waterfalls that are in the area. But driving the Oregon coast, there is just so many spots that you could just stop and check out and hang out at. It's just like it's hard to pick like any one of them being like just really exceptional. Um, yeah, I don't know. Climbing Neocani, if you like to hike, Neocani is a is a fun one to to try and climb up. So, yeah. anyway, moving on. Uh, let's see here. Orlando, thank you very much for the five dollars. Hello from Terra de Fuego. <laughs> I don't know if I said that right. Lots of shortages too in South America. Yeah, and that's probably going to end up continuing for a while, especially in some of the um, some of like the emerging economies, some of the you know not some of the big power states like you know the United States or Euro eurozones and stuff like that. Some of these other places, they're going to have a really tough time, um, you know, going through all this, especially when if if especially if we start going into that sovereign debt crisis, like I like I'm really pretty sure that it's going to happen because um, I think that's what would be the main thing that would drive us all into the central bank digital currency is if you had a complete collapse of of sovereign nations all around the world and it's all because of this super strong dollar and they're gonna be like well we can't have this anymore and this is not no longer a useful currency then all of them simultaneously well I wouldn't say simultaneously but within a short time would all fall into a central bank digital currency um, and then everything would get tokenized after that all commodities within those nations right down to the individual you know their time would be would be a tokenized you know labor um, and then there would be, everything would be tracked and traced, everything that you have ever done or trade with or do with other people. If it's done over that digital network, it'll be for somebody else to view and notice. Uh, did I see another one up there? Where was that? Thank you very much, Jenny. Comic, Jenny's comic like, thank you. Uh, what you know about Zezel, Zeal, Zella, Z-E-L-E? I'm asked if I use it working. I'm asked if I use it working. Oh, is that the uh, for sending funds? Yeah, I've used that before. It seems all right. Um, just deposits money right into your bank account. Um, I mean, I'm always kind of leery about these online transaction kind of stuff like that, but um, I do. I, I kind of protect myself a little bit in a way that I kind of separate my bank accounts so that. I have like accounts that I use for online transactions and then accounts that I use for like paying bills and then so that I don't have like exposed debits out there like online are the same ones that I use when I hand out to people. It's just like, I don't know, I'm just kind of paranoid like that. So. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Hopefully lumber stays low for those waiting to build. I think you're probably going to be okay going into the summer here. For the next two months, I think you're probably going to be okay with lumber prices not shooting up like they once were, like, or where they were. Um, somewhere between six, 700 per thousand, I think is probably pretty reasonable. Don't be surprised if it does go up to 800 per thousand, but really, like, I'm guessing somewhere around the 650 mark would be probably, like, what I would assume would be a very reasonable number for lumber to be at at least for the next two months. 
after that, we're going to find out what really happens with like the building industry, because builders right now are really not feeling very hopeful about starts. And you're really seeing the diminishing starts taking place here. There is a lot of stuff that's in the works. Like if you have already broken ground, got a foundation, got the, you know, things starting to frame, well, you're, you're going, you're going to, those houses are going to go into completion, but they're, but the, the builders are getting worried about that. And so they're going to complete these homes, but there's not a lot getting started at the same time. There's not a lot of homes that are being completed. So while the builders are slowing down on their starts, there's going to be, you know, they're going to complete those homes. There's going to be some completions of homes coming in, but then there's going to be a downturn and there's going to be less inventory at that time. We're going to have to see where sales are at. It's like that, little that's part right there to me is going to be like the critical juncture because if there is a lot of people who are selling their homes because they're worried about higher interest rates and losing out on taking advantage of the hot housing market or something you could find where there's a lot of homes on the like out there on the market even though there's not a lot of builders putting homes out there on the market but if the inventory is still tight and those builders aren't putting new homes out there, you're gonna find even tighter inventory and you know what that's gonna mean. Now, I know a lot of people are gonna say something about like, well, people are just not gonna be able to afford the higher interest rates at that time. We don't know that yet. We don't know what it's gonna be like. We don't know what the Federal Reserve is gonna do with their balance sheet if they plan on unwinding the mortgage-backed securities, like actually selling those things off or holding on to them. I mean, they say that they're going to unwind their balance sheet and roll those mortgage-backed securities off. But we don't that that's no guarantee to that. And until it actually starts to happen, you know, we we're going to be we're going to be guessing on where interest rates are going to be. I have a feeling that there could be a lot more demand for those mortgage backed securities out there than people are giving the investors credit for or giving the mortgage backed security credit for. A lot of people look at those mortgage-backed securities as a guaranteed toxic asset, and I just don't see them that way any longer. Like, prior to the great financial crisis, there was people who were taking out loans who had no business getting into loans. The criteria for taking out a loan is much higher than it once was, and so the people who have these mortgages are most likely people who are going to be are, are going to be better paying opportunities than back during the great financial crisis. Does that kind of make sense? So even though, yeah, that's what drove down, almost collapsed the entire system was these toxic mortgages. It may not be the same route this time around because there is a demand for these mortgages. I mean, these mortgage-backed securities, you got to think an investor wants a return and most likely people are going to be paying their mortgages. So if the interest goes high enough, if like the value of these mortgage, I shouldn't say value, the price of these mortgage-backed securities falls, then that gives a buying opportunity for a lot of these investors to get in on a fairly safe return if people continue to make the mortgages anyway, make the payments. So anyway, that could give an opportunity for the Federal Reserve to continue unwinding their balance sheet if they can find that investor to buy those things. Who knows? I mean, that's 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 a real guessing game at that point on it. But it, it is a possibility. So. All right, let's see here. The planned shutdown is commencing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think they're going to shut down the United States. Uh, let's see here. What's up with the Fed now holding two trillion in repo 
laugh out loud, getting ready for Bales Me, thanks, waiting for the Bales, um, no, I think what they are doing is they are making sure that they have a big enough demand for short-term, those, those short-term liquidable assets, those safe ones, and if the repo facility is swelled up big enough and the treasury isn't issuing out enough debt for these investors to buy, then the Federal Reserve may be able to unload their balance sheet onto those wanting investors. So that I don't know exactly if that's the case, but it seems to me that could be a very likely scenario that comes from it. So we'll find out. We'll know here in a couple of months what happened. Yeah. All right. Hey, Simon, please let me know the name of the finance your company that you use to buy your house could you do that okay uh northwest lending group was that the name of it greg cross northwest lending group i'm pretty sure that's the name of it um and they're in downtown astoria on 12th 12th and commercial like right there just uh you got the liberty theater rusty cup and then northwest lending group so yeah i don't know how else to explain it um maybe i'll find a link to it and i'll put it down in the description after uh after i upload the video but yeah greg cross definitely the man um i mean he you know there's and i know i know he stepped up for me because he knows me personally like we know each other so if you go to a stranger, this is the thing. When I bought my house, I picked every single person. Like I, you know, I picked the mortgage guy, I picked the real estate agent, I picked every single person. You know, I knew the inspector, I I knew everybody, like the contractor that I got the bids from and stuff like that. Every single person I knew, I knew him personally. And when you do that, you have a tendency to get the real deal from people. You have nobody's like BSing you or anything like that. And Greg really stepped up for me because right in the middle of me getting my this loan like when he comes to me and he's just like dude we're supposed to close in two weeks and you have a foreclosure on your record and the loan that i had set up for you cannot have a foreclosure in the last five years that thing did not show up in your credit report but the underwriters found it you're screwed now he could have just stepped away right there because there is much easier fish to fry than what i had going right there but he didn't do that. He really stepped up and he went out there and found me alone and we worked hard to meet the criterias and everything that we needed to do. Cut it right down to the to the minute on getting this thing and the communication that he was involved with me, the real estate agent with every I mean it just I cannot thank him enough. I mean, you know, for such a big experience overwhelming experience like i even went to greg like at one point when the deal was finally done because he's such a nice guy too he's just so cool and chill and i i mean like i'm sweating bullets and like i'm stressed out and i went to him and i'm like greg how in the world do you do this job man like how like people's lives are like right on the very edge all the time and you're whether or not you're going to get this loan for him and it's just cutting down he goes oh man he says it's like exhilarating he says i love it and i'm like dude <laughs> oh man i would not deal with the stress very well but he did a great job and i can't thank him enough so all right moving on uh reese thank you very much for the five dollars or the five euros is that what that is um good evening oh no that's lira what is that that you got there i can't read it good evening from the uk oh sorry <laughs> 
That's a pound there or something. Okay, good evening from the UK. Rumors that fang companies have frozen all hiring and getting ready for massive layoffs. Are they preparing for a crash? Um, I don't know if they're necessarily preparing for a crash, but I certainly making they're making it obvious that things have changed. And I mean, we're all feeling it. One of the things that Nobody can predict the future, right? But you know the collective mind knows something. So kind of like the idea, like, you know, you can take this big jar of jelly beans, right? And you can ask 100 people how many jelly beans are in the jar. Nobody's going to get the right answer. Not one single person. I mean, somebody might, but the chances of one person getting the right answer of exactly how many jelly beans are in that jar are very unlikely. But if you took an average of everybody's guesses, that would come dang close to the exact number of jelly beans that are in the jar. The collective mind, like everybody together knows the truth, knows the right answer. And so what I found interesting is just before the pandemic, just before everybody was like the shutdowns and all the other stuff that was kicking in, my channel really started catching some traction. People were really noticing stuff was going on and they were looking for answers and they were coming to YouTube to find it and they found my channel. And all of a sudden I started getting a lot of subscribers and like a big boost of subscribers. Then shortly after that, the lumber prices started taking off, which really started doing a benefit for my channel. And it started taking off again because I had done so many lumber videos prior to lumber prices taking off. So people were really in, in tune with my lumber you know, reports. But then just recently here, I did that lumber video that's up to like, it caught a huge wave. I couldn't believe it, like 225,000 views now. But the subscribers have really jumped over the last couple of weeks here. And it's not just the subscribers have jumped. They're going back and they're watching the past videos as well because I can see this inside of the, the analytics. And so people are questioning. They want to know what's going on here. And when last time that happened... We had the pandemic, we had the shutdowns, we had the COVID-induced recession. So I would be, I, I mean, I don't know about all the other indicators that are there, there are out there as far as like, you know, things of turning into like, you know, bad times, but the collective mind knows what's going on. And when I see my channel catching as much traction as it is, it leads me to believe that the people out there are very concerned about the future. And... I can't imagine it being good times that, you know, that are about ready to hit us. All right. Thank you very much, Chad, for the $4.99. Just discovered your channel and really dig your insight. Thank you. What sectors do you think are good places to park our money other than gold and ammo? <laughs> um, I personally believe that you should probably pick up as many skills as you can. That's that's the thing skills and like especially when it comes to canning that's like been my big one right now if you're not familiar with how to can or have canning supplies i think that would probably be a good place to go into but as far as like investments go i'm not much of an investor i really don't give like investment advice so i personally have only really invested in one company that's altria Right, Marlboro cigarettes and Anheuser Busch. Now, I don't drink and I don't smoke, but I do know a little bit about addiction. So, a lot of people kind of give me a hard time that you know I'm playing, making money off of somebody else's addictions or whatever. I 
so be it. You know, I mean, I don't, that's not for me to decide what other people do with their lives. I'm making money where I can. And that's the capitalist in me. So, so be it. Um, but that's the one company that I've invested in. They pay a fairly decent dividend on it. So when it comes to dividend paying stocks, I go with Altria. Um, that's the only one. Outside of that, um, I can't really think of much else that I would be really like geared up to invest in unless maybe like, and this is one you would really have to do a lot of research for yourself on, but it seems like it's kind of moving that way is the cross laminated timber industry. And this is where they're building high rises out of like all wood framing products. And they go together like giant erector sets, but they're like, there's no real like construction that takes place on site. It's just assembly. Like all these pieces pieces are are fabricated at another location and just brought and set right into place. So it's more like assembly at, at and not really like, you know, cutting and pouring concrete and doing all that, like, you know, rebar and steel and all this other stuff going into it. It's just pieces this coming in off of trucks and cranes right into the right into place. So once this kind of industry really takes off, I could see where it could be a very um a very big industry, um, especially with the idea that, you know, things are moving into the green industries or green products or whatever that, that whole movement thing. But this kind of falls right into it because you're locking car, like concrete and steel is a very carbon intrusive product, right? Even though you're cutting down a tree, you're locking the carbon up in the wood and you keep that carbon up in the building locked up in the wood. This is kind of the idea behind it. Unless you actually burn that thing down, then you don't release the carbon. Anyhow, that's one of the industries that I feel that might be taken off. And again, you have to do your own own research on that. Hey, Jack, yo, what's up? Uh, you're missing the part where those Chinese buildings fall apart after a year or two. Well, yeah, you're talking Chinese parts, man. I mean, this is stuff made in America. You know, I mean... Granted, there's a lot of stuff that are that's made in America that's crap too, but, you know, American built stuff is generally done very well. Um, you know, I mean, it's one of the reasons why everything's so dang expensive. Yeah. Uh, that is how they are building new houses with prefabricated wood frames and they just mail them to get, nail them together. Uh, it's the illusion of custom. Well, no, I can still be custom. I mean, it can still be just unique and custom for that. Um, I mean, they just, the, the pieces are just assembled someplace else and then shipped in. So, I mean, it can be like, you know, your custom job done for you uniquely. Um, I mean, if you're talking like craftsmanship, well, that that's like the cra like the old school carpenter doesn't really exist in the same sense that they once did. Like there's people who are really good at what they do. Don't get me wrong. Like, especially when it comes to like finished carpentry. Some of these people are really good at what they do as well. But for the most part, construction is just lumber assembly. It's like, it's not, It. I mean, once you learn the system, it's more of just being systematic about it. It doesn't, like, doesn't really take, like, an artful eye. It does take, you know, understanding of how things operate and how, you know, to cut angles and stuff like that. So it does take some knowledge to it, but it's not like a really artistic Thing that goes into constructing a house you're just 
you know, you got blueprints, you're just assembling this thing. But doing like finished work, that's a little different. That does take like artistic eyes and, you know, the ability to 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 take more care and and understanding of what it is that you're doing as opposed to just doing things systematically, you know. Anyway, thank you very much for the ten dollars from Switzerland. What is that uh what are they use in Switzerland? I forget guys. I'm terrible at this today. Uh, okay, hi from Switzerland. We will have deflation or stagflation in the coming two to three years. I am in the deflationary camp, at least for asset prices and houses. Yeah, anything that you're going to end up taking a loan out for is going to be very, um, very deflationary. And you also have to think, like, what is what is inflation? What is deflation? What, it, well, inflation is the expansion of money and credit. Right? So quantitative easing and taking out loans to buy expensive homes and stuff. If you have the opposite of that, well, then that's deflation. If you have the destruction of money and credit, well, quantitative tightening, that's, that's deflation. Right? And now the prices, that's the results of inflation or deflation. It's like the symptoms. Now, everybody just wants to look at the, at the symptoms and try to cure that problem problem, right? That's why the Federal Reserve is lifting of interest rates. But it's kind of like, you know, it's almost like the idea of like taking aspirin for a headache, you know, it's just like, will it cure it? Well, yeah. Well, what happens if you have another headache tomorrow? You take some more aspirin, right? Well, why don't you figure out why you have a headache? And it was just like, you don't need to, you can just take aspirin. See what the problem is with this? Like that's, that's the whole, that's kind of the scenario that we have going now, you know? with the inflation deflation is that they, is that people don't really look at like the expansion of money and credit or the destruction of money and credit as being the inflationary deflationary scenario. They look at the prices and because really prices is what's important really, you know, I mean, that's what affects you, you know. Uh, should I worry about my union plumbers apprenticeship if we are headed towards a recession? Um, I wouldn't be worried about anything, you know, um, I mean, I wouldn't be delusional about anything either, but you got to understand there's never been a time in history that I can think of since they've been using plumbers that they haven't needed a plumber, right? I mean, you got to think about it that way. There may not be a need for all the plumbers that are out there, but there's going to be a need for a plumber and you're going to be that plumber if you really want to be a plumber, right? So you will find where it is that you are needed and you will put yourself there. So, I mean, I wouldn't be worried about that. If you want to, if that's what you want to do with your life, then I say, don't let some dude on YouTube make that decision for you. You know, you got to find that out for yourself, but just remember that, that there's never been a time in history where they didn't need a plumber. Uh, um, trades shouldn't worry. Well, you know, I mean, you should, Again, you know, you have to be concerned about things, you know, but yeah, there's, I wouldn't worry about like, if you have a, if you have a skill like that, because they have never not needed it. Like there's never been a time in history where it wasn't, a, when there wasn't a demand for that. Uh, granted, there's maybe less demand for everybody out there, but you can do it. All right. Better than Mario. He never plumbed anything. Yeah. Okay. 
we couldn't get over two and a half Fed funds rates prior to COVID. Why do you think we can fix 8% inflation when we can't even make it to two and a half percent? It's because I don't think that the monetary policy broke down the supply chain. And I don't think monetary policy can fix the supply chain. So I don't think anything that the Federal Reserve is doing is going to be helpful to the supply chain. I think what the Federal Reserve is doing is trying to get their ammo back so that they'll have some room to drop interest rates next time we go into a downturn. And they're using this whole pandemic and supply chain breakdown as an inflationary story so that they can get their inflation or their interest rates up to that height. That's what I think. I mean, I think the Fed is just playing this, playing the story. I mean, that's, if they had not broken down the supply chain, I think we would have gone into a huge deflationary spiral fallout and everybody would have lost everything that they had. But they saved the day, right? They saved us. Yay, Fed. <laughs> How are you doing today, UE? Um, personally today, let's see, I woke up I was very tired and groggy, so I drank way too much co coffee, which I have another coffee here, so I should, I'm not drinking it, I'm apparently still full. Um, so because I wasn't getting moving, I did some push-ups, then drank a bunch of water, uh, played with the dog for a little bit, and then came to town, checked the mail, and got on to the live stream. That's what I've done today. So, um, I'm not feeling like exactly relaxed, but I don't really necessarily feel like anxiety or anything like that either. Yeah. So anyway, that's how I'm doing. How about you guys? Uh, I'm married to a plumber in Texas. You are wrong when about, uh, didn't sign off that bill last year. Okay. They must be talking about something in Texas. Um, okay. Which work are you doing? Which work are you doing? I'm not sure. Anxious. Thank you. Uh, let's see. How could they not be tracking supply chain issues and trying and to head them off using military equipment and personnel like National Guard and Reserves? Why aren't they? Do they really want to fix the supply chain? That's that... <laughs> Right. That's that would be the question to it. I mean, the Federal Reserve, I don't think really wants to. I, they think they truly want this inflationary scenario to continue on for a while so they can continue to lift their interest rates. I mean, I don't think they want to fix the supply chain. I think if they wanted to, they could have done a lot of things that would have made that happen. But they're not they're not interested in that right now. They're interested in getting their ammo back. That's what they want. And it might come at a lot of pain and suffering to other people. But I think their excuse for that is, is that if they don't do this, then there'll be even more pain and suffering to even more people. So better do it to a few than to everybody. I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to defend them. I'm just trying to make up stories of what they might be saying. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. That jelly belly analogy was superb. Um, well, it's, it's something I noticed. I mean, I noticed it, I, I noticed it on my channel before that too, that there would be like certain issues that were starting to come up and all of a sudden my channel would just get this big boost of subscribers. And I, you know, sometimes maybe I thought, well, maybe it was a video that got shared and that's what's going on is that I'm getting it this way, you know, from like a new, a new 
group of people or something. But when it happens this like this, like a couple of times now, and then this boost of subscribers that I'm getting now, it, it really leads me to believe it's more of like this, you know, collective idea of like the shit's hitting the fan kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, I'm in a small town in Indiana. I have not had real work to do for the almost two weeks now. Our warehouse is really starting to fill. Yeah. Uh, oh, hey, all-nighter, right on. Uh, we need a free market, not more government like National Reserves to fix the problem. Like the National Reserve to fix the problem. Yeah, uh, we need we need entrepreneurs up in there. That there is nobody else. Hey, what's happening, brother? Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yes, it is, man. From one thirty to four twenty nine. Man, that's amazing, bro. Yeah, should. Been doing it since uh, November of 2017. Right on, man. Appreciate. What's that? Obi. Obi Wan Kenobi. All right, man. My name is Simon. Obi. What's your name? Simon. Is it? Right on, Obi. Very cool. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. What's your channel? Mitch does. M-I-T-C-H-D-O-E-S. Like the name Mitch. Mitch does. M-I-T-C-H-D-O-E-S. Go check out this crazy guy. All right, man. Oh, wow. Crazy, man. Right on. We'll check it out. Thanks, bro. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. Uh, a bow? $10. I saved up like half the price of a house in the suburbs. Uh, it's like it is better to wait for house prices to plummet and interest rates to rise, or do I buy a house now? Two, will expirations come? Expropriations. Um, man, as far as buying a house right now, um, man, that's a difficult one. Like, I was forced into it. I didn't want to. And if, unless I wanted to leave the area, there was no choice, or get rid of my dog. I mean, I guess that was another reason, but... Um, buying a house now to me would be a very tricky, tricky, you know, position to try and take on just because it just seems so likely that there's going to be a downturn in the housing market, especially with buying opportunities coming, but you just don't know. I mean, some of the things that we have talked about because there is so much talk of there being a housing downturn, I try to find the opposite views like the, why there wouldn't be. But it, like, even with Homeboy just driving by there, you know, I mean, he was just like, everybody thinks that there's going to be a housing crash. So is that the collective mind kind of producing a self-fulfilling prophecy or what? Um, you know, I, 
I personally am happy that I'm in my house. So I, I don't feel bad about buying it now. Like I was really nervous about buying it. I, you know, was like, had this, all this anxiety built up after doing it. And I just wasn't feeling real comfortable about the whole thing. But every day that passes and every, you know, every week is just getting a little bit better and enjoying being there. So if it's something that you're like looking to live in for the rest of your life, then I would reconsider it and say maybe, yeah. But if it's an investment opportunity you're going for, I don't think that's a good idea right now. <laughs> uh, let's see. Is George Gammon controlled opposition? Is George Gammon controlled opposition? Do you think? Do you think like he's like, like a uh, agent provocateur kind of guy? I met him personally. I mean, I've talked to him quite a few times. I don't know. That would be interesting to kind of roll over. I had a buddy who I swore was a was a U.S. Marshal or something or whatever because he never got in trouble. He would pull off some really questionable stuff. And I'm like, dude, how are you able to get away with all this stuff? And he was like, I don't know. It's like, you're a cop, man. You are definitely a cop. You're like undercover or something, man. Because there's nobody who gets away with as much as you do. And I accused him of it quite a few times. And he always denied it. But what I thought was funny is that he had a party one time and somebody else did the same thing. Like he was throwing a barbecue and we were all just sitting around joking. And then that's when somebody says, yeah, well, he's a cop. And I said, I told I knew it. And he was like, I'm not a cop. And I was like, wait a minute. Everybody else thinks you're a cop. I'm pretty sure he was a cop. Yeah. But he would get away with all kinds of shit. So I don't know. Agent provocateurs, maybe. I don't think he is, though. George is a good guy. I know him. Uh, let's see. He made a great video looking at inflation-adjusted housing prices, which no one is talking about. Who did that one? Uh, can you refinance when the housing price decreases and makes and make progress? Yeah. All right. It's a good time right now to work in a lumber yard. I used to be a yard associate working with lumber and mill work and and thinking of going back to that thanks yeah um i tell you some places get a really good discount um not so much on lumber but like on you know plumbing parts and fittings and paint and just other parts like a lot of lumber yards especially if it's like the locally owned ones like a mom pa kind of place They'll give you a pretty good discount on that stuff. So if you're working on your own property, then, man, you can really, you know, do quite well as far as, like, you know, rebuilding your, your home or remodeling your home and, and saving quite a bit of money by working for a lumberyard. Um, I watched over the years, I watched a few people actually go to work for lumberyards so they can remodel their house and then quit afterwards. Um, but, you know, I mean, I guess everybody has their technique. Like, I thought about, like, going to work for a car dealership and then get a car and then quit, right? <laughs> uh, um, let's see. Is it true that house prices are artificially increasing only due to inflation? Without inflation, they'll soon decrease with rising interest rates and lack of demand. Yeah. Um, well, eventually, okay, so you, is interest rates everything? That would be like the real question behind it. What if you didn't have a loan for a house? What if you couldn't? What if there what couldn't borrow for a house? Period. 
how much would a house be worth? Probably not very much. And how many houses would actually be built? Probably not a lot. I mean, not by builders anyway. There might be houses built by individuals, like by the individual person, but probably not a lot of people will be building homes because if you can't get a loan for it, there is no guaranteed payment for it. And most likely, most people aren't going to be able to save up enough to buy a home. So the chances of like going to all cash purchases of homes is probably never going to happen, right? Like ever. It's always going to be on a mortgage of some sort. So now we have to ask, like, how much can the mortgage go to before the free market starts to kick in? So like you take interest rates to 10%, 20%, 30%. Where does the price of these assets start to fall to before cash buyers start to come in and saying, okay, well, we don't need a mortgage for this any longer. We can buy this asset for cash. At what interest rate level is that? You see where I'm where I'm coming from, like at some point, you know, you're just going to find that the interest rates cannot go any further than this because it doesn't make any sense to borrow anymore. We can just use cash to build these things or, or to buy them or whatever. But at that point, nobody has any. So that's kind of the idea you have to think about. There's no way that the mortgage market is going to function at like a substantially high rate, 15 20%, not at these levels. Like there's no way real estate prices would just absolutely plummet at that kind of level. But I'm questioning, could they even have achieved that level? I mean, at what point does the mortgage backed securities become so attractive to investors that the interest rates just don't go any higher than that? Because there's so many investors out there buying the mortgage backed securities. They're willing to loan that money to the buyers. There's no guarantee. Just because the Federal Reserve is say they're going to raise interest rates, there's no guarantee that they're going to have a housing market crash. I mean, they've said it many times, many times. They have to have a functioning mortgage market in order to have a functioning monetary policy. It doesn't mean that they have to have real estate prices at, at the moon. They just have to have the mortgage market working. That's it. Yeah. Uh, I'd love for housing to drop a half off. I'd buy a few, but it's not going to happen. It will slow down, but prices will drop off a cliff. Yeah, and see, you know, that's just the thing. Like, I'm building up an emergency fund right now, and I don't plan on spending that emergency fund. I plan on holding on to it. But if there ever came a situation in which that the real estate prices drop to a point that my emergency fund can all of a sudden be a down payment, then I might do that. And I'd imagine that a lot of other people would do that as well. Even if the interest rates are really high, I mean, it just gets to a point where, like, people who have the money start getting in, and then that's where it meets its bottom. Uh, let's see here. Hey, Bo, with the five again. Will the governments do expropriation after they close this theater show running now? Governments adjusting the laws in a lot of countries. Um... I don't know. I don't know what is planned after the great, because I, I, again, I keep thinking that, you know, people say, well, what is this collapse going to be like? I mean, is it going to be all nations altogether? Is it going to be a global financial crisis or is it going to be a sovereign debt crisis? Like I think it's going to be, I mean, it's one thing if it's just a financial crisis where people all of a sudden just aren't able to get out loans for houses and businesses. That's okay. So Households and businesses can't borrow money. 
Now that sucks. That's going to be a real downturn on the economy. But it's a whole other thing when nations start to fall, when the sovereign nations of the world are no longer able to pay. I mean, this is every, I mean, I don't know how like big the contagion is or could be that can come from it, but it could take the whole world down like everybody and just completely collapse the entire system at that point. It doesn't matter what nations do. It, it just really wouldn't matter. I mean, you can have laws, you can have governments, you can have armies and police force and all kinds of stuff. It isn't really going to matter at that point because the people are just going to be flipping out and they're going to be rioting and they're going to be chaos and just mayhem everywhere. And gangs and warlords and all kinds of stuff will come from that. Now, if they can transition, right? If they can transition into a digital currency of some sort, then maybe they can avoid that sort of like, you know, outcome from it. And that's really where the game, I think, is going to be played. So I don't think it's going to be like any kind of event that's going to happen. Like, it's going to be one day we're going to find it's just like, oh, wow. Like, you know, well, okay, for example, nickel um, out of Russia a couple of years ago, there was like the largest nickel mine has tokenized all their nickel. Right? So in order to buy the nickel coming out of that mine, you have to buy these tokens and then use those tokens to purchase the nickel. Okay. That sort of thing is going to be for everything, everything out there. And that's really where I think everything is going to be leading towards. Um, I don't think we're going to have like a collapse that just like, you know, here's this event that that takes everybody down with it. I think it's going to be like, boom, that country and then they get set up. that country goes down and they set up, you know, and then all these others. And then eventually everybody does it. It'll happen quickly. But what I mean quickly over the course of what? couple of years three four years if it happens like that i mean you see china's already moved into central bank digital currencies there's tokenizing of commodities happening in other nations there's talk of central bank digital currencies from every single corner of the globe so you know it's happening now we're in this transition as it occurs people talking about the reset it's this is it this is the reset it's going on um we don't realize how far behind we are. Why fiber is going to take more importance. Yeah. The plan is nearly a hundred years old. Uh, Simon, when are you going to be at Davos? That would be fun, wouldn't it? Get up in front of all those bankers and let them know that the average person knows what they're up to. <laughs> Say, hey, man, I, I see your game. All right. Do you think we'll own nothing? Um, well... It's not that you'll own nothing. It's that the, the people are already geared up to not want to own anything. They have already kind of just decided that they have already don't want anything. Think about like, think about the ride sharing. You know, how many people are actually wanting to get a driver's license if they even want a car? Like cars are expensive. Insurance is expensive. And how much do you really need a car for? I mean, I wanted a car because I lived way out in the country. But if I lived in the city or something... Why would you need a car? You could just use, you know, Uber or Lyft or something to do it. And then same thing with like all the conveniences of life out there. There's really nothing that you need to, to own anymore. Why would you? I mean, everything is expensive. Now, granted, I'm not asking like why you would. What I'm asking is why a younger person would. Why would they want to put up all this time and effort and energy and killing themselves for 
an apartment and a car and all the other stuff out there when all these conveniences are so much easier to be had. So it's not like you'll own nothing. It's just that they don't even want you to own it. It's more like you don't want to own it. And then if you do own it, you're going to want to make money with it. So at that point, it is going to be like you own nothing because everything you own, you're going to try and use to make money with. Whether it's renting out rooms in your house or using your car to do the Uber Lyft or you know, whatever it is you're doing with it. That's the type of thing that we're moving towards. I mean, like owning property is going to be burdensome, right? It already is. Like, you know, listen to all the people who talk about the tax burdens that they have to pay and the maintenance of trying to, you know, deal with their house when you got lumber prices and building supplies as, as expensive as they are. All the stuff that goes along with it. I mean, it's not like, it's not like, the younger generation is watching this enjoyment of achieving the American dream, right? If you don't, if, if that seems like a struggle and then when you get it, you're not even happy with it, then what's the point, right? Why are they even trying? That's the society that we've moved towards. I mean, and I have to blame this a lot on like the Cantillon effect, right? The Cantillon effect with the luxuries. People are so like moved into luxuries and this idea of like I don't know like don't have to work don't have to try don't have to produce just get a check in the mail and live off the the government like this sort of idea is just like how does that even exist like how can you even have that sort of thought process to yourself but yet that seems to be what the case is. And so I think, well, maybe that's because we've all moved into luxury so much in this luxurious life that everybody seems to live, even though it's maybe not luxurious, luxurious to some, but it is to enough out there that they just no longer demand the idea of trying, like, you know, trying to acquire, trying to save, try to build all that stuff. It's not in them anymore. Uh, uh, let's see. People don't want personal responsibilities. Yeah, like, they want, okay. No commitment. Everything is casual. Right? Oh, that's okay. Hey, you're not into it. That's fine. You know, move on. On to the next thing. Don't commit yourself. You don't want to, you know, come hell or high water. No, hell, high water doesn't sound good. Doesn't yeah, yeah. if it's uh, if it's convenient and easy for me right now, I'll go ahead and do it. But um, now nah, I'll just casually walk away. Yeah. Uh, in such society, there are no families nor children. Well, that's the way it's gonna be. I mean, why would you want to start? Why would you want kids if you don't have a place? If you don't have a house? If you don't have a car? If like your whole life is just a matter of just enjoying what it is that you want to do for the day and regardless of what anybody else has going on that does there's no there's no room for children in that right you know i mean if you want children then you have to commit to things you have to commit to you know showing up at your job every day and making sure that you have you know food at the house and making sure that the bills are paid and all the other stuff but if you don't have kids then you don't have to have any of that stuff you don't have to have any of that responsibility stuff all right Everyone is a capitalist. Absolutely they are. Deep down inside, every single person is a capitalist, whether they want to admit it or not. You know? If you can, you know, if you go out and... I don't care how you feel. I don't care how... 
what you believe in. I mean, you go out and you're competing to sell something and you sell $100 more than anybody else, it makes you feel better. You're like, man, I know, hey, you guys made a lot of money too, but you didn't make as much as I did. <laughs> I mean, everybody feels that way. Uh, there isn't a lot of com comment to like when to like and what does that say? When you and I were kids, sure, they're a whole new tech influence market to participate in, but the American dream is unattain unattainable. The only way saving 20% the only way saving 20% of 50k a year. I absolutely disagree. The American dream is absolutely attainable. People just don't believe it. I, I There has never been a better, easier time to make money than it is right now. I mean, there is just so much of it out there. It's just a matter of just going out there and getting it. And I just don't get why people don't do more of it. Uh, there, it's not easy to make it the way it once was. It's not hard to make it in this country. It's hard to make it good. Just remember that. I mean, getting a job is easy. Getting a job is not a big deal. Paying your bills is not a big deal, right? Having an apartment is not a big deal. Paying the insurance is not a big deal. After that, having anything good in your life is a big deal, and it's very hard to get that if you don't work ever increasingly harder. So you have to put out a bunch of work, more than what you would typically want to do in order to acquire those things that are considered like the American dream. So can you get the American dream like you once did where you can just go and like one person in the family go and work and actually be able to buy a house and a car and raise a family on it? No, you can't do that nowadays. You have to have everybody in the house working and everybody in the house having side gigs. The only thing about it is, is that everything that those people can do is so easy. There's so easy things to do to make money. There's like, it's not difficult. So it's not a matter of like having an American dream where you can just go and have like a nine to five job and that's going to provide you with the American dream. No, you're right. It doesn't work like that. It never, it, it, that failed, right? But the American dream is very much attainable and it's so easy to do. It just takes a lot. It just takes some effort to go and find it out there. You know, it's not impossible. I mean, they just if you if you think it is, then it is impossible, right? What did Henry Ford say? Whether you can or can't, you, you're right, you know? All right, moving on here. Um, young families can't get ahead. No, young families can get ahead. It's difficult, though. All right. Uh, my service-based business has been a gravy train in the last couple of years. You can do it for now. Yeah, and I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, okay, so a buddy of mine has, he has a very, very simple business, and um, I don't know how he ended up doing this, but I think somebody actually, I think he inherited this business, but he has like all the real estate agents, he all their numbers, like, and they all have his number. And anytime they go to list a house or a house goes onto the market or something like that, and the real estate agent has that sign, you know, it sits on a white four by four with another four by four that comes off and the real estate sign hangs off of it. That's him. He puts that post in the place. He rents them. He rents that post to these real estate agents. And all the posts that you see here in this county, they're all his. Every one of them. They're like all his. 
Simple. Nothing to it. And as the real estate market starts to downturn, his business is going to grow because they're going to need ever more increasing amounts of signs. So you just have to find your business. You know, um, you know I mean, there, there's all kinds of stuff out there, like simple stuff to do. That, and I love that one. That was like my favorite one when I when I found out that he did that. I'm like, God, what a... And you see him driving around, and he'll have like six or seven of these posts in the back of his truck. And he'll go and place them around all day and then go and do his regular job. He does construction typically, so... Alright, uh, I have the same plan. How old are you now? I am in my early 40s. Uh, you, oh, I see you're talking to somebody there. What to do? I live be, live below your, our means. Yeah, that is the the absolute key to it all. Is that it doesn't matter if you're making $50,000 a year or $150,000 a year. If you can't save anything then it doesn't really matter. I mean, sure, if you have a $150,000 a year job, you're probably going to live a better life. But at the end of the day, you're both broke. You both don't have anything. So it's all a matter of how much you save. And I've met some people who really have some pretty average jobs who can save pretty much half their income. Those guys do live a much better life. It's very comfortable, it's very easy, it's not complicated, there's not a lot going on with it, but that's okay because they have everything paid for and they're very calm and stress-free. They know what they're doing. Right? So that's the, that's the key to it all. It's not a matter of how much you make, it's a matter of how much you can save. And then what you do with your savings is really, you know, that's what we all have to figure out for an individual. You know, I... I tell people all the time they should go and uh, talk to financial advisors. I mean, that's like really the best way you can learn to figure out how it is that you need to deal with your personal finances for the condition that you're in. I mean, you can ask people on YouTube all day long, but those people don't know your personal conditions. They don't know what it is that you got going on and what do you need in your life. I mean, I tell you guys what I'm up to, but I don't know if it's the right decision. It's just that I'm doing what I'm doing and I hope it works. I'll let you guys know. And if it helps you out, then I, it helps you. But Everybody has to make their own decisions on, on what they do. And that's where, like I said, a good financial advisor can look at your life and say, like, okay, this is what you need, you know. And if you find a good one, they'll really guide you in the right direction. You know? And then take a little bit from it, too. So, you know, maybe we can all figure it out for ourselves. But most people don't do that very well. And I can admit I haven't done that great yet. So, uh, let's see. People spend far too much money on material goods that don't produce money or something for them that increases their wealth, like leisure goods. Yes, that is so true. And especially when it comes to debt, like people, like even, okay. Like I keep talking about a Camaro, right? And I would love to have a Camaro. I got this old car. It does great, but you know, it's, it's an old car and I would like to have something newer to drive around, right? So that's just like, you know, something I want. So I'm looking at Camaros, like, okay, so Camaros are expensive. You know, I don't want a Camaro with a V6, I want one with a V8 in it. So it's not gonna be a $26,000 Camaro, it's gonna be like a $36,000 Camaro. And then if you're gonna go $36,000, then, well shit, we might as well upgrade it up to the you know $42,000 one, right? I mean, it's not that much more since you're making payments on it. So next thing you know, you got a $48,000 car that you're driving around. And it was just like, dang, I wish I had my Toyota back. So I'm still driving the Toyota, right? <laughs> Don't live beyond your means. 
Thank you so much. Slick Ford, 108 for the $1.99. What would you do with 50K? You're debt free or rent free. What would I do with 50K? Um, right now, I would probably hold on to the cash and wait for a buying opportunity in real estate and buy real estate with 50K. But if you were looking to place it right now, then I probably would split it up um, and go into, because I'm more of a saver than I am an investor. Um, I would probably split it into like thirds, put a third of it in cash, leave it in cash and wait for, you know, the future, future price drop. Take the other two thirds and go into dollar cost averaging gold and silver and cryptocurrencies. But that's me personally. Um, that's what I would probably do with it. But 50K in cash right now, I think I would just probably hold the 50K. Um, I would just hold on to it right now because I think there's going to be much better buying opportunities for stuff than there is right now. Um, but that's probably what I would do. Um, Bitcoin, keep learning. Okay, which cryptos? I hear Link is on sale now. Um, you're going to have to... I. When it comes to the altcoins, you're really going to have to to do the research and, and come up with that on your own because I really just feel that there's nothing else out there other than Bitcoin. Um, you know, there's really nothing that, that Bitcoin can't do that the rest of them, you know, or there's nothing other ones that can do that Bitcoin can't or can do with a secondary layer system or something. So, I mean, there are a lot of good projects out there. But there's nothing that quite meets the security level of Bitcoin. So I, I, I buy Bitcoin. That's what I buy. Um, if there was another alt, altcoin out there that I would buy or that I have bought quite a bit of in the past was Litecoin. Um, I really like Charlie Lee. I like the, uh, the attitude that he had towards his coin and his project. Um, I know a lot of people gave Charlie Lee a hard time when he sold out all his Litecoin at the height of the market but he uses that money to continue to work with his project and stuff. So whatever. I mean, you know, think of him what you will, but that's that's what I kind of think of it. Yeah. Uh thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Let's see here. If you understood Bitcoin, you don't save in fiat. Um I understand Bitcoin just fine. Um I don't understand it to the level that other people do, but I understand it to the level that I think I need to to compare it to fiat cash. And I don't have the hatred for fiat cash like a lot of other people do. They have this like absolute, this like utter hatred for the dollar that they will not accept any kind of belief other than it's going to die and it's worthless and it's evil and don't tell me anything other than that. There's a lot of people who have that kind of attitude towards it. You're going to miss out on a lot of stuff, especially buying opportunities. You know, dollars are not meant to be saved in. They were never meant to be saved in when it became a fiat currency. Dollars are a medium of exchange. It is just meant to transfer value from one place to another just for a short period of time. It's not meant to store value. So when people are like looking at like the dollar losing value and talking about it being like this horrible thing, it was just like, well, yeah, it is, but you know, you're never were meant to hold on to it for any length of time anyway. 
So when you are holding on to it, what you are holding on to it for is that buying opportunity. You are anticipating having like a downturn or a sell or something happening in the future, but you are not planning on holding on to that dollars for any length of time. You are planning on getting rid of it. Um, so in that case, you know, buying Bitcoin right now may not make sense if you can buy it for $25,000 next week or say $20,000 two weeks from then. I mean, holding on to fiat is a very smart move. You know, you just not holding on to fiat forever. <laughs> uh, what's proof of work? Uh, okay. So I'm not exactly like a tech kind of guy or whatever, but proof of work as opposed to proof of stake. So proof of work is like that computer algorithm that Bitcoin has to go through to try and solve the problem in order to get a Bitcoin from it in order to be rewarded. So these computer miners, when they're doing that work, that's the proof that they have actually done it when they solve that problem. Proof of stake is when you actually put up some of your coins in order to be the miner. And if you're a fake miner or whatever, you lose your coins. I'm not exactly sure how all that works, but that's if I got the simplest of forms, I think I explained that okay. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Most altcoins, the contract deployer owns a large portion of the supply. They can pump and dump at will. Yeah, and that's the problem with a lot of those altcoins is that that's what I feel is most of them are just pump and dump schemes. Now, don't get me wrong. I think a lot of these these altcoins and the projects that are coming from them are very legitimate like ideas and probably will do quite well going into the future but there is so many of them out there it's going to be hard to pick out which ones are like you know going to be the successful ones all right xrp to the next galaxy <laughs> all coins are getting slaughtered from bitcoin dominance rising yeah. pull it just pull it building seven our economy yeah god i know right that building seven when that's the you know that was probably one of the um because i i watched that happen on the news like i was just like now i was telling my wife i was like now why did that building just fall you know and i was like did that one get hit by I'm like no i guess the fires or something i'm like wait a minute that doesn't make any sense you know so anyway i questioned it that day but i didn't really become like the the theorist that i did until much later on but yeah building seven man what a controlled demo on that um and it was after that that i really started questioning everything you know when when I heard the explanation for building seven or the lack thereof, you know. Okay, let's see here. Howdy from Orlando. Well, hello, Orlando. Uh, research ISO 2022 cryptos. Anyone who bought and held BTC for at least three years is in profit. Yeah, um... I've been I've been buying Bitcoin for a long time, and I don't even know what my average is. Like I couldn't tell you. I just you know just buy a little bit here and there. But uh, there was a there was a time when I tried to buy Bitcoin at eighteen dollars. That was like the first time I tried to get Bitcoin. But I'm kind of glad I didn't because I ended up crashing that computer that I had the wallet 
because I had already downloaded a wallet and I was out there looking for Bitcoin, but just kind of gave up on it. And then like, I don't know, a few months later, that computer crashed. Um, I would have lost all my Bitcoin. Uh, serious question. How hard is real estate going to get hit over the next year? Again, you know, I mean, we've talked about I, a lot of people are just convinced that it's going to happen. Like there is no other course of action except for this huge real estate crash. And it's not a matter of if, but when, and not a matter of like just being a little bit. It's like, how bad is it going to be? So everybody is convinced of this, but yet there's some things that are taking place out there that we have talked about on this channel that might say a little bit differently about that. Mainly is, is like, where is the mortgage-backed securities going to go? That's probably going to be like the biggest issue. If there is going to be a buyer for these mortgage-backed securities, if the Federal Reserve goes to unwind their balance sheet, if they go to sell those mortgage-backed securities, and if the interest rates are high enough, they may actually find an investor. And if they can find an investor, well, then the interest rates may not go as high as people are thinking that they might go, even if the Federal Reserve continues to raise interest rates. So... There's there's a lot of questions that, that need to be answered, and we really won't know what's going to happen until we get there. You know, you know, I'm looking at my own particular area. I'm seeing some price drops, but they're not significant yet. Like, they're more like, like very small adjustments. Um, there was one guy who said that he put his house out for two weeks, had not one single look or offer on it, so he's going to drop at 30,000. Now I'm not sure what the starting price was on it, but I think it was something just slightly over 500,000. So, you know, it's not like 10% or anything, but that's a pretty decent drop in my opinion, you know, from a asking price anyway. All right, everyone listen to Incendiary Radio on Republic Broadcast spells out exactly who is behind all this hybrid warfare against us. Uh, less building wars, but still high prices. Um, real estate happens in 25-year cycles. America doesn't exist anymore, guys. Uh, it seems to me like everyone is still spending as if nothing is happening. I don't get it. Are we or are we not in a recession? Um, I don't know. I'm not seeing the spending. Like now I work retail at a hardware store and I tell you, I can see a lot of the building still taking place. Like a lot of the building, uh, house building happening. It's slowing down some, but not, not much in my area. The retail, the walk-in customer, that is very slow. Um, not nearly what we had last year. And so, like, as far as people spending, like, no tomorrow, if they are, they're doing it at the restaurants and they're not doing it at the hardware store. Um, I went to Home Depot on the weekend and it was slammed. Uh, Bill Gates is designing a virus response team that can lock down countries on a whim, China style, and put dissenters in quarantine camps. Okay. Uh, think of real estate more in 60-year cycles in terms of outpacing inflation. Just an impression, however. Don't look at the market in much technical 
detail, more like an intuition. Okay. Let's get down here. I'm not buying any big ticket items until prices come down and I can wait for a long time. I think many are in the same camp and I wonder how that is going to impact things. Um, yeah, well, what ends up happening is, is if a lot of people end up doing that, that's a lot of money sitting on the sidelines. So as soon as there's a huge drop, that money comes pouring in and we find that, we, you know, that floors are found quite quickly. Invest in Pokemon cards. Yeah, that's what my boy does. Uh, old beer cans as a store value? I don't think so. Uh, if you are part of the narrative, you have access to resources. If you don't, you don't. Yeah, I guess that's true. It's annoying, but all roads lead to Bitcoin. Yeah, I kind of see that too. Uh, I work at Home Depot, and it is always slammed, and inventory levels are stacked. Yeah, well, it's going to be different from every region, from every place that you go to. Now... I understand that I am in the middle of kind of out here in the middle of nowhere when it comes to like, you know, being close to like city developments and stuff like that. But I talk with my vendors. And so when I feel something happening at my store and I say, hey, guys, are you feeling this? And they say, no, no. And then all of a sudden, boom, yeah, I do. And I'm like, yeah, OK, so I felt it first. And now you guys are starting to experience it, too. There's a lot of things that, you know. You might find first in the city that, you know, won't happen out here. Maybe like the, the booming parts of things, you know, like when the city starts to boom, like a particular area, when Portland was just like on fire. I mean, people were talking about the, you know, the hot real estate market in Portland. And I thought, man, that's kind of weird that Portland has this like really super hot real estate market. And then I kid you not, it was like six, seven, eight months later, I'm reading, you know, I'm starting to see it happening here in Astoria. And you could actually see it take place. Like it started in Portland and just slowly moved out this way. And then it got to the beach and then that's as far as it goes. Right? All right. Hey, bro, when you going to start those roof repairs to your back porch? Um... I don't know. I gotta save up the money to do it. I gotta like re-roof that whole side of the house and everything. So I gotta save up like twenty grand or something because I want to do it right. I want to do it really good and put some because uh, I got a covered porch on there. So I wanted to put some skylights into it and do it up real good so that it's awesome. And that's gonna be expensive, but I want awesome. You know, if you're gonna do it, you gotta do it awesome. Uh. House prices collapsing in certain parts of Canada. Yeah. Car prices coming down soon. Yeah, I'm starting to see them already popping up on Facebook, like on the market sales sites and stuff like that. Now, granted, I'm finding a lot of cars are still like ridic ridiculously expensive that these people are trying to get for them. But you can tell the desperation is starting to come and that some of these higher priced vehicles start to have a little bit better price tag on them. Um, you know, we'll find out. Give it a six more months, and I bet you we're going to start seeing the car dealerships, you know, a little bit, a few more vehicles in those in there as well. Uh, I need a truck and keep waiting for the crash for it first. Yeah. <laughs> Skylights will be badass. Yeah, they will be. 
why is this guy in his car? You know why I'm in my car? It's because it's quiet. It's quiet in the car. And then I can move it wherever I need to. I could be doing it at home. But I started off in my car and I don't know. This is where I'm at. <laughs> but that's the whole reason why I did it. It was because it was quiet. Uh, the average house in Toronto is $1 million. Yeah, that's another thing. Like, the average house here in the United States is like, what, three fifty, four hundred thousand, dollars 400000 something like that? So, if you can imagine the average house in Canada is a $1 million, and people say, man, house prices in the, in, in the United States can't go much higher, I think they can, you know? So... Dude, I'm in... Oops... I'm in my van as many here as well. It is a nice place to chill and focus. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking city owned, not Blackstone. Through. So it's still creepy. Huh. I'm not sure what that one was about. Uh, just wanted to touch base on lumber. You think July, August, a good time to buy for a fence build? Um, I think going towards July that I think that's probably like I don't see price increases between now and July and if the futures stay down like they have been under you know like I mean they they're a little bit higher today like I think they were just shy of 700 per thousand but if they stay down in this like you know six to seven hundred per thousand range we're gonna find lumber prices dropping out you know quite a bit now when it comes to your local lumber yard you may find that you know your your local lumber yard doesn't have a very big turnover like you know trying to roll into that cheaper cheaper lumber means that you have to have a fairly high turnover rate to it if you don't have that high turnover rate then your lumber yard is going to be stuck on expensive lumber and that'll be the case until you know either you know that'll just be the case until either they get cheaper lumber or you know the price goes back up so anyway, um, but I find that July is probably, I just feel that July is going to be the month. Like, you know, that seems to be the month that I feel that, you know, talking with everybody else, that that's where the prices, if there were ever going to be a bottom or stop going up, you know, that would be it. You know, and then after that, I have no idea. Uh, thank you very much, Amy, for the four ninety nine. dollars uh, What is your opinion on Taiwan conflicting... Oops, where did that one go? Where that? Oh, I just lost that comment. Where'd it go? Huh? I don't know. Sorry about that. Um, okay. We can go back to trading goods for services and vice versa instead of fiat. Um, well, you could do that on a local scale. Like on a barter system, you can, you can kind of do that. Um, but that's not going to really do it for like world commerce or the economy in general um you got to have like you got to be part of like the bigger picture of things the distribution networks that are around the world now that we all like rely upon it's not a matter of just like trading local goods for for services there's stuff that's produced you know in other parts of the world that you know that we need in order to have like the the conveniences that we do it's just it's just the way it is um, there's no way that, like, a lot of people, like, I saw a comment a couple of days ago 
that somebody said something like, well, why can't China and India just use their currencies and then make those the reserve currencies and then that'll be the reserve currency that everybody will use as opposed to the US dollar. And it doesn't, it can't, it doesn't quite work like that. Um, the only reason why the dollar is still the world reserve currency is because nobody else is willing to do what the United States has done. And mainly is to take on a bond market debt big enough to supply the world with that liquidable asset of bonds. And then on turn, take on a trade deficit as big as ours so that we can supply the world with enough dollars. That is something that nations are not necessarily comfortable doing. I mean, think about it yourself. Would you feel comfortable like producing things, saving a bunch of money, and then occasionally going out there and buying the things that you need while you sit on a stockpile of your surplus you know, money? Or would you feel better about just living completely off of credit cards and everybody else out there sending you their stuff? I mean, sounds like a pretty good plan, really, that you don't have to work and you just use credit to get everything from everybody, but it's only going to last for so long before it eventually collapses. And that's the situation that we're really in right now, is that we've kind of met this Cantillion effect where we used to be the world's producer of stuff and we sold so much stuff to the rest of the world and profited so well off of this that we started moving ourselves into luxuries. We found that luxury items were cheaper outside of the United States than they were inside of the United States, and so we started importing a lot more stuff. That drove out the domestic manufacturing and drove, out, drove in ever-increasing amounts of foreign imports. So now we're sitting in a situation where we produce very little in this country, we import an insane amount of stuff, and we export all those dollars out there to the rest of the world while they buy our debt. How long can that last? Fun fact, uh, Aldous Huxley, author of Brave New World, had a brother named Julian Huxley who ran the United Nations for over 20 years. Aldous may have been telegraphing what he knew through Julian. Oh, yeah, huh? Uh, question, please, can you post the live stream on your Spotify as they make great listening? <clears throat> yeah, they. I believe, um, I'll ask Chandler about it, because she usually uploads all the stuff to, uh, to the podcast for me, but I do have the podcast going, it's uh, you guys let me know, and if you ever have trouble finding links to anything, you can go to my website, uneducatedeconomist.com, and you can find the links to everything over there, I haven't been very active on my website, just because I'm still just trying to be active on making YouTube videos and being active with my family. So trying to maintain a website has just been too much. But yeah, you can find everything over there too. Okay, let's see here. I don't think BTC will ever be a currency. We will see a different digital currency used as currency. Though I do believe BTC will be the gold digital asset going into going forward. Yeah, um, I can very much see that as well. Um, question, hello from Atlanta, Georgia, please ask George Gammon to have the Rebel Capitalist live event in Atlanta, we need it here, bro, thanks, you're getting close to 100,000 sub soon, yeah, um, well, I mean, it's George's event, he's, and I think he, I think he chose Florida for a particular reason, and I'm not sure exactly what it was, um, and same with Houston, too, now, I know, like, Houston had, I think it had something to do with, like, the COVID thing, like, 
there, I don't know if there was less restrictions or something, but anyway, um, yeah, it'd be fun. I mean, I would like to speak at the, uh, capitalist event again, some the rebel capitalist event. I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, you know, you mentioned something about it, you know, in January, but, uh, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, oh, there's another one. Hey, thank you very much for the 99 cents. Crust. Uh, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> All right. Hey, did that just, wait a minute. Hey, you did that just so he will say the name out loud. Yeah, he did. I almost did it too. No, uh, the Lightning Network is advancing rapidly for BTC. Use case is getting easier, just like the internet option adoption. Yeah, and that's where, like, I feel that Bitcoin really is just going to be like a superior, you know, digital currency over the rest of them. Is that once you have like a secondary system like the Lightning Network, <clears throat> then the ideas of scaling and speed and all that other stuff. There's no, that's no longer an issue. Um, you can just do it on the secondary layer system, secondary system, and then upload it to the, uh, to the main, you know, digital ledger later on and not have to worry about like speed or time or scaling or anything like that. Uh, what do you think of Satoshi Nakamoto? Who do you think Satoshi Nakamoto is? I don't know. The CIA? I, I, I don't think it's like a secret dude. I think it's like a group, like the CIA or something like that. Um, but I, I really don't know. I don't know. Uh, people talk about housing crash, home buyers priced out recently and still around. Did they just disappear and their families get smaller? No. Also, who wants to lose sub 4% rates for 6% plus now? I'm not sure about that one. Do you think fractional reserve requirement will ever exceed 10%? Will it be changed at all? Um, didn't they already change it? Didn't they... Uh... I think they already adjusted that down to like zero at one point, didn't they? They didn't have to have any reserves on hand. Anyhow, um, I think after like if you, the way the system is now is probably not going to be much of the way the system is operating in 10 years from now, especially if the central bank digital currencies kick in, which I really feel by 10 years from now, that probably be the case. And a lot of the things that we experience now with the central banks and the way that they conduct themselves probably won't be the way that they do it in the future. Um, it won't be as much as like dropping of interest rates to try and stimulate the economy by getting people to go out there and borrow money, buy houses and cars and stuff. It's probably going to be more like helicopter money drops that's going to end up happening. And that's the way they're going to end up stimulating the economies. Um, so things are going to change quite dramatically, um, you know, once the, once the digital currencies really start coming into play, you know, and then like, you know, so like the way the banks are holding on to reserves and the central bank systems and the way that the banking, like the federal reserve system operates right now, I don't think it's going to be the same system, um, in the future. 
what is the point of taxing citizens if you print trillions anyway? Yeah, I've asked that a few times. Like, why? I never did understand. Like, once I heard that if you tax, you could tax 100% of our income and 100% of corporate profits and it still would not cover the unfunded liabilities of Social Security and Medicare. I thought to myself, why are they taxing us? It's to take your time. It's to take your time because that's the only thing that you really have a value is your time. And when they tax you, that's what they're taking from you is your past time. The problem with not worrying about scaling in time would be that arbitrage then ensues on lags if that comment was correctly heard. Yeah, that's true. Um, I guess what you're saying is it's like the more transactions you do in real time would cause a lag going out to the Bitcoin. So like you start piling them up here by the time they actually get to the Bitcoin, they never actually make it there. I think that's kind of what you're saying. Um, yeah, I can kind of see that being a problem too, but I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm not tech tech enough to try and like, you know, wrap my head around it to figure it out. You know, uh, let's see here. It'll take decades to mine the last 2 million bitcoins. Miners will receive payment for transactions after all coins are mined. Um, Simon and Satoshi. No, I am certainly not. <laughs> uh, used to call BTC NSA coin among some of the elite early folks to razz them and get them thinking a bit. The World Economic Forum was discussing recalibration, freedom of speech on the internet. They will try to censor us all from speaking about their crimes. Everyone here is smarter and awake. Can we get the other 90% of the population to wake up, please? Yeah, no kidding. Uh, What good will raising rates do to curb inflation without supply-side intervention? Yeah, I've said that many times. Do you think there will be a UBI in the next 30 years? Yes, absolutely I do. Um, UBI is probably going to end up coming within the next 10 years. Um, I it just okay. So this last go around, the last time we had a downturn in the in the economy, right during this pandemic. Prior to the pandemic kicking in, the Fed was really nervous. Like they tried to get their interest rates back to up to a normal level, which I don't know what normal would be. Would want to drop interest rates around five percent in order to stimulate the economy, and they had a hard time even getting it past two and a half percent before the whole economy started to to come undone. So. When it comes to stimulating the economy, the Fed is going to be in a very difficult position next time we go around because they're not going to be able to drop interest rates and they're not going to have a pandemic to try and stimulate the economy with. So, like, if you don't have this pandemic and you go into a downturn and you drop your interest rates 2.5% and you hit the lower bound of zero and it's not enough, what excuse does the government use in order to hand money out free willy-nilly to the people. They won't have one. They won't have an excuse. And so unless there is some sort of like natural disaster or war or something of that nature, 
the Federal Reserve and the government really is not going to have an excuse or a reason to to try and stimulate the economy beyond just the dropping of the Fed funds rate. If we have a sovereign debt crisis and all fiat currencies are failing around the world and, you know, they come the central banks say, hey, we have no other choice. All fiat currencies have failed. We're going to have to move into the central bank digital currencies. And now we can take interest rates into negative territory and we can do helicopter stimulus drops and we can control the flow of money in which direction it goes to. And we can tax the people unlimited amounts because we can print unlimited amounts. We'll see where that goes. I mean, I don't know how productive people will be in a society in which that you can get free money to go out there and buy produced items with. But I would only assume eventually you'll have plenty of money and nothing to buy. Uh, it's another super chat. Where was that one? There we go. Dollar ninety nine from GH. I'm intimidated about getting crypto. About getting how to start? No, man, it's easy. You just open up a Coinbase account. That's really easy. Um, and then, you know, you you. I mean, you can buy with a debit card, but you end up paying a lot of money with that. So you open up a Coinbase account. You link it up with your with your bank account, and you buy Bitcoin. You buy fifty dollars worth of Bitcoin, and there you go. You have it. It's not. It's not something that you have to be intimidated about. It's just something you have to practice. You have, and then don't don't throw like fifty thousand dollars at it at, at one shot. Throw like fifty dollars. Like learn what Bitcoin is. Learn how how to buy it, how to sell it, how to how to send it to another wallet. You know, once you have that sort of thing for it, you have learned so much about it. Then you'll be a lot more comfortable about the idea and. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of ways to do it, but just start with a small amount. Uh, GH, right now is a good time to buy a little. Remember, don't buy more than you're willing to lose. Look up Cardano, Solana, ETH, Bitcoin, Polkadot, diversify, and hold. Dollar cost average. Great advice. Dollar cost average in is a great way to go, especially when you have this much, like, volatility taking place you can always lower your average when the price drops you can always add to your stack you know anytime i had ever made a bitcoin purchase or a crypto purchase i did it anticipating that i will never get the money back like i just did it with that like i'm i know that i am buying this stuff with the idea that i could possibly lose it all and i am okay with that i am doing it anyway because i am learning i'm doing okay because it's part of my investment strategy but I'm okay with the idea of losing this money if you can take on that kind of idea then you know that's what you're kind of going for because it's just too volatile you have to you have to understand that it's just like you could put some money towards like fifty thousand dollars towards it and who knows in a couple of years be fabulously wealthy from it but then again it could all be gone like my buddy's complaining because he put 30 grand into it in one shot and I was just like man why? Like, out of all the things that I've ever said, why would you have dumped that much in one shot? And, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah. And so, yeah, and so now he's sitting on, like, half of what he had put in there. It just broke his heart, you know. Never trust anyone with your password. Yep. And secure your password. Secure your damn, your your keys. Man, I have a, a Ethereum wallet that has some tokens and some Ethereum in it and some... And I can't get into it. I, I mean, I have the 
the public key so I can see what's in the wallet, but I don't have the complete private key so I can't do anything with the coins. So that was my fault. I thought I had them secured. I thought I had them written down. I didn't. I have the last, I have all but the last 12 digits of the, of the, of the, um, of the key, but it doesn't matter. They're gone. They're like, they're not gone. They're just, I just can't get to them. So maybe someday in the future, if it's worth enough, worth, if it's worth enough, I can have some hacker break into it or something and figure it out. I'm having a hard time talking. I might have to call it quits here before too long. Let's see here. Bill Gates is a reptilian. 99 cents. Thank you very much. <laughs> From Bill Gates is a reptilian. Alright. Um, UBI will be here as soon as CBDC is implemented. I don't think it's going to be as soon as, but it's going to be very much in line with. Um, I think it's going to be a good way, like... It, it, the UBI is going to be a good way to introduce the central bank digital currencies because people who are getting the UBI are going to not question how they're getting it. Like whether it's, you know, through like, you know, food supplements, like, you know, like a WIC card or EBT card or, you know, say maybe like relief funds from a natural disaster, stimulus payments from a downturn in the economy. The people who receive this UBI are not going to question. They're like, where is my money and how do I spend it? And whether it's done with the central bank digital currency or done with fiat currencies, they can care less. So I think that's going to be like the way they introduce it is through that, like a stimulus or welfare program of some sort like that. Because those people won't question it. They just, they just won't. Like if you go and say, okay, well, this is the new way we're getting paid. And so when you get your hourly rate, you're going to take this central bank digital currency. Like people will be like, no, I don't think so. But if you give it to them for free, then they'll be like, yeah, I'll take it all day long. Derek comparing most wealth to that as a relative limbo measure sounds like someone's PhD thesis. I don't know what that one's about. Okay, Bitcoin is not digital gold. It is the convergence of money and data. It will usher in the internet of value in the fourth industrial revolution. Huh. That's interesting. Hey, UE, hope you're doing doing good. I was just wondering what you think the food shortage will look like. When will it take place? The magnitude of it. Um, well, it's happening now, right? So it's already starting to occur. Um, what did you say? What will it look like? It's what what it, you're going to end up finding is is that it's not going to be necessarily that there is a lack of food. Like you're going to go down to the store and this is like, man, there's nothing on the shelves here. You're going to find that there's shortages out there where there's less available. But the problem really is going to be is that it's going to be so expensive. It's going to be super super expensive and so when you go down there and you find the lettuce because the lettuce will be there you're going to be like why in the world is this so much and it's because there's just a lack of availability out there because normally there would be 500 million heads of lettuce and most of them would probably get thrown out anyway 
and whatever money they got off the lettuce would be enough to profit from now there's just not going to be enough heads of lettuce out there and the ones that are available are going to be very expensive so there's going to be plenty of people who are not going to enjoy the lettuce where the people who are enjoying the lettuce are going to be enjoying it as a luxury because they can afford to buy it and that's what you're going to find with a lot of stuff so it's not going to be like every single thing like you know I mean, well, it could be like most things, but you're going to find some stuff may come into complete availability and the prices really don't go up that much. But then you find like, you know, every time you go to buy beef, it's just like it seems the price just keeps going up and up and up and up, you know. How and why is anybody buying these steaks, you know, but they're there and they're expensive. So that's the type of like food shortage that I see here in the United States anyway. Other nations that don't produce a lot of food, because surprisingly, the United States actually produces a lot of food. Um, but other nations that don't produce a lot of food, they're really going to suffer. They're going to suffer the most, like with famine kind of suffering. Um, the United States is just going to be really a super annoyed in comparison. Um, but yeah, other nations who do not produce a lot of food, who import most of that, they're going to suffer big time and they're going to get hit really hard. That, I had assume, is probably going to take course over the course of the next year or two. Um, because what's going to end up happening is that as the food supply gets very tight and the prices go way up, the people who produce food, they're going to be making a lot of food because they're going to want to take advantage of those high prices. So the farmers out there around the world, when the food shortage really kicks at the highest, they're going to be going into like mass production at that time. And then you're going to end up with like the same thing, like a bullwhip effect where all of a sudden, like, you know, three years from now, you're going to find where food is just like incredibly cheap and farmers are going to go bankrupt. You know, I mean, it'll be the exact opposite. Hey, right on. There's a big super chat that came in there. Where's that at? Oh, right on. 40 bucks from Sidekick Kato. Great stream as always. Thank you for your thoughts and your time. I appreciate that you're honest without dooming out. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, I, you know, that's the only thing I can be is honest because I don't really have anything to sell you. If I, if I had something to sell, then I could try and convince you of something. But other than just coming out here and making videos, I really don't have anything to sell you. So it's just like the only thing I have is to be honest because I'm that's me that's what I'm trying to do is just like you know be out here and be as straightforward as I can be with the, with my thoughts and, and opinions um, so thank you very much for the 40 bucks I really appreciate that it's very generous of you and and it's generous of every of all of you to send me these super chats I mean it's it makes doing this a, a lot of fun but you know it just it really says how much you guys do appreciate the channel and, and you know me coming out here and doing this I mean I can't thank you guys enough it's just you know, it's very generous. Um, let's see here. Jenny's Comic Life. Thank you again for the $5. My dad and I have been working close with a church that receives donations from a local food bank. Is it good to eat canned food and preserved wheat? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's like... That's one of the best skills I think that you can take on right now is to learn how to preserve food. And then after that, building up a network of people who can acquire food easily. Like, 
I had a friend who loved to fish, like absolutely loved it. But eating fish, eh, not so much. Like, you know, they thought it was okay, but just loved to fish. And I'm like, dude, you can bring me all that fish. And he would. Like, he would bring me, like, a lot of fish. My wife loved it, too, because she would hack that fish up and can it and put it in cans, you know, jar it up, you know, when he would bring, like, you know, two or three big fish. So it worked out really well. And then she would give him some of the canned fish for bringing the fish over. So it was like, you know, it worked out to be a pretty good deal. But you find people like that, you know, who, you know, who really like to fish but don't like to eat fish. And then there you go. Now you got all the fish source you, you, you need. You just have to give them some of the uh, canned fish back. And then they like it too. Even if they don't want the fish, like they'll take it and go give it to their friends and family and stuff like that. So that's how you work that, you know. All right. Um, <laughs> Gaming probably yuck. What, you don't like fish? All right. Um, BTC and blockchain have been in use since 1995. Um, yeah, I heard about that too. But I, I heard like, you know, there's computer programs that were built to accept like the digital currencies and stuff like long before anybody was ever like talking about Bitcoin or anything else like that. So. Uh, Los Van Ghost, nine ninety nine. Thank you so much for the super chat. Thanks for your time, UE. Have a great rest of your day. Well, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Um, sure, I bet you all your CBDC against all my crypto. I don't have any CBDC. Pickled whitefish is mm-mm good. Yeah. Uh, well researched, Simon. Thank you. All right. I, um, I try, like, you know, there's a lot of stuff. You got to know that there's plenty of things out there that you just don't know about. And, you know, there's, I mean, I would like to think that, man, I have researched all kinds of stuff and I got like, you know, all these answers and things, but you know, every day when I listen to, or I read or something, I, I pick up another little nugget of something. It was just like, man, I didn't really think about it like that before, or I didn't know it was, you know, that it was done in such a particular way. Um, you know, you gotta, re you gotta know that there's plenty of stuff out there that you don't know. And so it's a constant research. It is always, always and forever. Right. Just like the uh, Napoleon Dynamite song at the end, always and forever. Uh, you won't be able to barter an iPhone for a sack of potatoes yet. Yeah. Simon, what do you think? Just take the CBDC when they introduce it and buy Bitcoin right away with it. Yeah, um, that very well could be a possibility, but... If it's all on a digital ledger and the central bank digital currency, which I don't think that they would do something like this, but what if they just limit on the places that you can go with it? Like you have to have an accepting central bank digital wallet in order to to send that money, that central bank digital currency to it. And anybody who has cryptocurrencies or involved with it are denied a wallet or denied payment to that wallet because all these wallets will be under the control of the central bank that's issued it at least from the impression that I get. Now, I don't think in the beginning that's how they're going to use this central bank digital currency. In fact, I feel that they will probably allow illegal black market, all kinds of activities to happen because they really want the people to be confident in the using in the use of this central bank digital currency. 
So if they could get an entire generation to believe that there is no problem using this stuff, whether it's, you know, between two friends, regardless of what it is that they're trading it for, <clears throat> then I think the idea of like the government controlling it would just simply fade away because they like, they just don't do it. And then after everybody is convinced that the government won't do anything about controlling the central bank digital currencies in such fashion, and everybody is comfortable using it, and all the fiat currency has completely left the system, then they can start putting the screws to it. Then they can start, you know, really, you know, ramping up the pressure on, on control. But until then, they can't really do that because people will just back away from it. They want people to accept it and use it. And so if you limit them, and you start making it difficult on them, or you start scaring them, then they'll just they'll just back away from it. So. Uh, let's see here, Maco Eyes thirty three for five fifty five. Thank you so much. Thought on thoughts on social credit scores and student loan forgiveness. You chat, good peoples. All right, you and chat good people's oh thank you um what do i think about social credit scores well i i mean i think that we are going to run into issues with that more after the central bank digital currencies are introduced um right now the social credit score is probably more just geared towards your just regular credit score and that if you don't have a good credit score you have problems like getting an apartment getting jobs getting you know assistance for things if that was to be applied to like say even getting tickets to get on an airplane or something like that you could see where like having a social credit score can be very impactful on on society um is it happening yeah probably um you see it taking place in areas like china i'm not terribly worried about it though like being such an issue that i would have to like kind of condition my life to be ready for this i i don't i don't i don't look into it like that i just kind of look into it more of a as a like a concern or a possibility or you know something that is occurring out there but until i actually feel the pain of of a social credit score it's still just like part of the imagination of what it could be or what it could do um like i said other places are starting to experience more of it so it is a concern okay student loans this one no way in the world will it ever happen, at least not from what I can tell, will there ever be a student loan forgiveness. It just won't happen. They will give you the idea that there will be a student loan forgiveness because they want people to continue to take out student loans, but they're not gonna they're not gonna forgive these things. And the main reason is is that the government, the United States government, cannot afford the credit downgrade that would come from that. Now, even though these student loans, the they're packaged up into what they call student loan asset-backed securities, right? Slabs. They're literally called slabs. And now these slabs, although they're not like the high-quality investment that pay, they are an asset that does have a value to it that sits on the balance sheet of the United States government. So now, if you can imagine the United States government has a balance sheet, right? They got their, their debts and their liabilities. Now, or I'm sorry, they got their assets and their liabilities. Now, on their asset portion of their balance sheet, 
they have the financial assets, right? So you got all these assets, the gold, the land, the silver, the prop, whatever. And then you got the financial part of the assets, which is like all the bonds, all the debt that they owe or that they own from somebody else. So like they are owed this payment. Part of that debt, that financial assets is the student loan asset backed security. So the financial portion of this balance sheet is made up 50% of slabs. Right? It's a huge portion of the balance sheet, like a huge portion of it. And if you were to take this balance sheet that has assets and liabilities on it, and all of a sudden you just drop the assets off of it because they're just gone, now you got all these liabilities that don't match the assets that you have there because you just got rid of all these assets, you just wrote them off. And now the t credit downgrade that comes from that is going to be very impactful on the United States government. The interest rates would shoot way up and nobody would be buying their debt because they would be rated triple C or whatever. It wouldn't be investment grade any longer. So there's no way in the world that these student loans will just disappear. Ain't going to happen like that. What could happen is that, say, charitable organizations will get together and literally buy these loans out from the government. Or... The government could tax the people. That's fun, right? I mean, sounds like a good way of going about it. But unless they do something like that, those student loan asset-backed securities aren't going anywhere. And there is no way that anybody's going to have them written off. Now, they might do a few of them, like I said, to keep the, keep the carrot dangling out there to keep people, you know, taking out those loans. But they're, they're not going to write them off. Yeah, so if you're expecting it, I, I wouldn't. I would not expect that at all. All right. Um, just don't know how to use them. Let's see here. They pay off student loans. I want my house paid off. It's only fair. Um, yeah, right? I mean, I don't, I don't think any of it's fair. Like, I don't think it was fair that kids were told that if they don't go and get a degree that they're going to be losers in life like I don't think that was fair you know um, I don't think it's fair to saddle up you know a 25 year old individual with an insane amount of debt and you know less prospects for a job that they can earn money with that degree I mean like you know the whole thing to me is just like man what what a damaging way of like helping somebody with their future it just doesn't make any sense to me you know now i grant i get it like granted a lot of people think that i just absolutely hate college like you know the whole idea of going to college and getting a degree is just a pointless idea that is not the way i feel at all right that is not the way i feel i feel that if you're going to go and get a degree pursue that passion is it a doctor? Is it a lawyer? Is it a reason that you're going for this degree? I mean, if that's the reason why you're doing it, because you really want to do this in your life and you need that degree in order to pursue that, then man, that, yeah, that's what you do it for. But if you're going to go get this degree and you're like, man, now what am I going to do? You, you wouldn't got a degree. You have no idea what you're going to do. You wouldn't spend all that money, spend all that time. And you have no idea what you're going to do now. How many people have done that? A lot, a lot of people. All right. Uh, let's see here. Yale educations are still worth a lot in the world. Yeah, like, again, right? That's somebody who is pursuing something. That is somebody who's pursuing, like, if they, do not, if they do not have this particular degree from this particular school, they are not going to get their 
position in their political standings or whatever it is that they need. I mean, there's they have a direction in their life that they're going with it. What I'm talking about is like my friends who I said, you're going to college. Why? I don't know. <laughs> because I was told to because that's what everybody's doing. What do you mean? Why? You know, that's you know, that's where I'm kind of getting at. Um, yeah, I don't do politics. Um, let's see here. Carl Hart, no worries. Look at some BIS documents now and then. It's curious how many folks get employed full-time by the IMF. Yeah, um, coming out of some of these universities, it really is. And you know what I find interesting is how many people who come out of these universities who then go to work for, like, Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan and all these other places. And then after that, they go to work at, like, the U.S. Treasury Department or the Bureau of International Settlements or all the places where they actually control, like, the it's. You know, it's the same people, right? I mean, the same people who work in the banking industry are the same people who are working at, like, these government institutions, you know? How many miles you got on that thing? Uh, 157,000? Uh, what is up with all the fake job postings? Yeah, now that's another one that I heard about, too. Um... Did this have something to do, and I, I'm, maybe I heard this and I'm maybe just talking out my ass or something, but was this something about if you had taken a PPP loan that you had to have, like, at least you didn't have to fulfill the position, but you had to at least offer a position to, to you know, to qualify for the grant? I can't remember. So, like, yeah, anyway, I don't know. I have to, I'd have to research into that one a little bit more. All right. Uh, let's see. I thought I was imagining things. A lot of fake jobs out there. Yeah, that's what I hear. And it's funny because somebody gave me a book the other day. Um, I got to read it. It was like BS Jobs or something like that. I can't remember, but it was like basically all these jobs that exist out there that are just completely worthless. Like there is no point to this to this position whatsoever. And uh, if I remember right, the guy who was telling me, the guy who gave me the book, he said that um, one of these positions was uh, at a university. And, like, there was, it was a fairly new university when they hired a maintenance man for it. And it was, because it was, like, a new facility, they didn't really need, like, a lot of maintenance to be done to this thing. But as time goes on, obviously, you know, deterioration happens. And they only really had, like, one position to deal with the maintenance for this giant facility, right? And or they didn't have enough people or whatever it was. So like things went like unrepaired, like, you know, desks were broken. Things were just like, you know, just kind of falling apart because you can only do so much. So instead of like figuring out what it was that they needed to do to bring the place back up into, you know, into a maintained level, they hired somebody to go around and apologize for things not being like for things being broken like they literally hired somebody to just apologize for everything being broken like not fixing anything just apologizing and so yeah what a worthless job it is right i mean it's not like it's really doing anything to you know solve the problem all it is is just relieving pressure to somebody's mindset so it's like there's a lot of jobs out there that are like this you know um 
university is proof you drank the Kool-Aid, nothing more but a lot less. You might be right, uh, WTF, that would make sense. I'm not sure on which part we were talking, we talked so much stuff. Okay, why would I go to college for four years when I can learn the same thing in courses in four months? Yeah, um, it's really just, it, it, again, like, unless it's a particular school that you want that degree from because it's going to, you know, be advantageous to you, I don't know. I don't know what the point of, like, going to four-year schools are or any of the other stuff. Like, you can learn anything you want off the internet for free. Like, you can do, do brain surgery off the internet for free. If you want to make money at it, now you got a different story. You got to, like, you know, there's different things that you have to go through in order to become a professional. Part of that is getting degrees in particular lines of, of work. But, um, yeah, I don't see why I would go to college either. Like, I learned quite a bit about economics just scrolling through the internet, reading articles, listening to lectures, you know. I mean, if I wanted to get a job in finance or something, I may need to go and, you know, or real estate or do something like that, I mean, then, yeah, you'd have to get licensed. You'd have to get some sort of credentials to do that. But if you just want to learn, it's all out there for free, and you don't need to pay anybody for that. Everything of value I learned on YouTube. Um, I wouldn't say everything of value I learned on YouTube, but, man, did I learn a lot of stuff on YouTube. A lot of stuff. Hookers provide intimacy to lonely humans. Those lonely people might go completely crazy without some affection. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Just get a series of 65 license by taking the test. Let's see here. In YouTube, people teach each other. Yeah. Um... Oh, God. Jesus, Adriana, now you got them all going. All right, let's see here. Uh, Crisis will always have a lag. Remember 06. It didn't hit for three or four years. That's true. It really didn't. How do you go about finding reliable source of information? You can't. You cannot find reliable sources of information. (laughs) There's Adriana right there. (laughs) Um... You cannot find reliable sources of information. What you have to do is when you find a piece of information that you think is credible, then you have to find other pieces of information from other sources that talk about that exact same piece of information that you were looking at and try and get a different perspective of it. Um, Try and find if they were just blowing it out of proportion or if it's legitimate and it's something that you need to take in as part of like, you know, part of your thoughts as far as what's going on but there is no credible information there is no like decent source of it you have to you have to confirm it with other sources out there all right i'm gonna give it five more minutes guys all right uh see here jenny's cosmic life five dollars thank you so much for the super chat have you noticed how back east property has woods and seems undeveloped compared to area where i live in san bernardino san bernardino california um 
Well, I live up here in the Pacific Northwest. And yeah, I found that like, you know, undeveloped property, actually you can find some pretty good deals on undeveloped property, especially like the moment that the housing market down took a downturn, like during the, right at the beginning of the pandemic, um, I saw like some really good deals on land come up, but they didn't last very long and they got picked up pretty quickly. Like there was, there was 10 acres for 110,000 that I was like, man, what is wrong with this property? Why is it so cheap? And then when I started to kind of look into it a little bit more, boom, it was gone. And they're developing that one right now. In fact, I think they got two houses on that 10 acres right now. They got one they built last year and I think they're just about ready to start another one. Oh, thank you, Dave, for the $5. Very much appreciate it. You guys are always so generous. I really appreciate it. We can talk sex and money, but no politics or guns. Who cares if... We can talk guns. There's We can talk guns. Um, I've made a fortune in flipping homes. Uh, the fifth estate... Oh, the, the fifth? The state has become the fourth column. An attorney goes to school for eight years to learn how to argue. If they wanted, they could just spend ten minutes with my ex for free. Yeah. Watch out for toxic waste dump sites. Ooh, yeah, wouldn't want to see that. Do you think government employees have have a safe job in the coming economic downturn um i guess it would depend on what government job that you have um but no i mean i think that there's probably going to end up being a time where we do have a cutback in government and with that would come like job cuts as well uh i just don't think after the digital currencies are really in play like the central bank digital currencies there, there really is going to be less need for a lot of stuff. Like these smart contracts that will be implemented <clears throat> will make like the need for courts and governments and regulations and all this stuff really just not even needed. Like you know, it's make make them like uh, irrelevant almost, and so. I find it like, you know, that's what I'm almost somewhat excited about seeing the digital currencies come is that we actually might find a way that we can like limit government and their behavior. I mean, Jesus, wouldn't that be nice? All right. Uh, let's see here. All nighter. Attorneys are agents of the courts and prioritize the courts over their clients. That's right. They all work for the, uh, for the bar, right? The bar exam. Um, I'm hearing that deflation is coming. Are these rumors? No, it's not a rumor. It's it, That was like the major concern from the Federal Reserve prior to the pandemic, prior to all the quantitative easings. They were very much concerned about deflationary spirals taking place and couldn't figure out how it was that they were going to get the inflation that they wanted. But then the pandemic kicked in, they severed the supply chain, they ramped up quantitative easing, got all the inflation that they needed, and now everybody is just like, you know, is it really deflation is the concern? Yeah, it's the destruction of money and credit and they're about ready to go into some massive amounts of it. Think about the quantitative tightening and the, think about the quantitative tightening. That's the Federal Reserve bringing dollars back into the Fed, destroying dollars essentially. 
At the same time, listen to all the people talk about not buying a house. That's less mortgages being issued. Think about all the car sales that people say, like, you know, are going to be failing. Like, you know, they're already starting to hear about it. But like the car dealerships, imagine them being loaded up with cars and not making sales. These are all like new debts being taken out. If there is less debt being issued, that's less dollars coming into the system. So inflation is the expansion of money and credit. Deflation is the exact opposite of that. It's the destruction of money and credit. And that is what I think we're about ready to experience going into the next couple of years is destruction of money and credit. And hopefully, you know, from what everybody is saying, I mean, I think differently, but hopefully from this action, the Federal Reserve will be able to stop the rise of inflation. But ultimately, they're just trying to get their ammo back. All right. One more question, guys, and then I'm going to bail. All right, uh, let's see here. I've dealt with building inspectors for decades. They're uniformly substandard workers, like 90% of all government employees. Uh, that was a statement. Let's find a question here. Uh, new to learning about the economy. You seem like a minded, you seem like minded to myself. Any books you would recommend to a newbie? Yeah, we kind of went over this one already. I really haven't read a whole lot of books um, on the economy. The one that I have read, The Creature from Jekyll Island, is probably one of the best books that you could ever read as far as learning about the Federal Reserve. It was written by G. Edward Griffin. And then after that, I would uh, recommend Cantillon's essay on economic theory. Those are probably like the two major economic like literature pieces that I have actually read. Other than that, I have read a lot of Federal Reserve speeches. I've listened to a lot of lectures. I've read a lot of like articles and stuff like that to try and pick up most of the economic knowledge that I have. But if there was two books that I would recommend, it would be The Creature from Jekyll Island and Cantillon's essay on economic theory. All righty, peace out. Let's see here. I'm going to go, guys. Thank you so much for hanging out with me for the two and a half hours. Thank you so much for those super chats. You guys are always so very generous. Thank you, everybody, for liking the video. We got 787 likes today. That's incredible. 600 of you watching right now. I saw it peak out there close to 800 at one point. Always so amazing. I just um, I just can't thank you guys enough for being here. So I really appreciate it. And um, we're getting close to that 100,000 mark. Can't wait. We're going to hit 100,000 here, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. That would be really cool. So. All right, guys. Uneducated economist. Y'all let me know.